Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Andrew Tischler, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Jeff, what a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is great. So uh, this you are the first podcaster who I'm interviewing on my podcast. So this is a treat. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. In fact, you're one of the podcasters who inspired me to do my podcast because uh, you had me on your show and I thought, man, he is so good at that. It's so inspiring. I, yeah, so... You're, you are an inspiration oh, thanks, man. in many ways. So it's, it's a great to have you on the show. Thank you. No, it's awesome to be here. I'm really excited to, uh, to get into whatever, uh, we have to talk about. I, I'm a little nervous about the title of your podcast though. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. The Undraped no. Artist, where professional artists bear all. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, oh I'm yeah, kinda, man. I'm kind of a little bit anxious. What, what are we getting into, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, most of, most of my guests don't come with clothes on. So, I mean, you've, you've screwed up already. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll lose a couple of layers, but there's yeah. a limit, bro. <laughs> yeah, but I got to tell the audience here, you are in New Zealand and it is, what did you say? It was 4 a.m. right now? Yeah, it's 4 a.m. 4 okay, so I hope you don't mind me sharing. So last night, I call, I text you to confirm with you that we're doing this and you had forgotten about it. And yeah. then we, we you realized that the Sorry. time was 4 a.m. And I kept telling you, we can change it. And you're like, no, I've got too much to do. I like doing it early. I'm like... I could, I'm like flabbergasted. I, I haven't seen yeah. 4 a.m. ever. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been awake during at 4 a.m. Maybe when I was a teenager and I never went to sleep, but I don't think I've ever gotten up yeah. that early. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that. What's the deal with the schedule? How come you're up so early? Well, so, so I'm up at three. Um, actually, most days I, I wake up at 3 a.m. six days a week. And um, a lot of people like start w when they hear about that. And I, and I shared my daily routine in detail with my academy students. And because they wanted to see behind the scenes what's what it's like, you know, how I how I live my life. And I, I just found that I needed a schedule that would fit everything in the day. We only get 24 hours, right? Right. And so I, I figured that, okay, what I'm going to do is get a really early start because what I need is quality block time, chunks of time where I could hit that, that deep work focused, you know, energy on one singular task at a time. And so when there's a lot of distractions and I've, I've got a little boy, um, he's about 20 months and you know they're they're obviously still asleep they have no idea what happens at 4 a.m um and and so i it's just was so vital for me to find a way that i could fit everything in get that focus time eliminate distraction and then get everything in but you know people do freak out they're like oh my goodness you know you're 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 destroying your body you you need to get more sleep i get sleep i actually go to bed pretty much the same time my son goes to bed so i i'm i'm in bed super early so I, mm. I get just about as much sleep as anybody else. It's just that window has shifted for me. Um, and now, I, I, and I keep tinkering with my schedule, like the order of things throughout the day. 
but now um I think I'm I'm honing in on that on that spot for me where I'm really I'm really dialed in. So it really just comes down to quiet time. You're just trying to avoid distraction. Your kids are still asleep, so you can work now. It has nothing to do with the early hour necessarily. It's just trying to find that well, lot of time that's quiet. There, there is also I I don't know. I think there is something to that that three to four a.m. hour. You know. Um, you know, so, so I, I'm also a man of faith. So the first thing that I do with, uh, with, with my, my morning straight away, spend a bit of time in the word and, and, and in prayer as well, just to get my day right, just to get it, you know, mm -hmm. set up, commit it, you know, commit it to God first. And then, and then I can kind of, my, my steps seem a little bit more focused and directed from there. Sometimes the day's a mess, but you know, for the most part, right. it, it, it ends up getting, getting off to a good start that way. And what time do you wrap up at the end of the day? So, okay. Well, okay. So I'll go through my blocks. Basically, uh, that, that, uh, anywhere between three to six, I'll get a two good, two good hours in on work, work, work. Right. Um, and then that, that'll be things like if I've got to do a voiceover for a video, if I got to write some copy, write the newsletter, uh, reply to people on my academy page, take care of a couple of emails, all the busy work that tends to eat up the day but what i what i do is i'm really firm it's like there's a stop time and at 6 a.m I'm, I'm i'm stopping the door closes i'm not doing any more busy work it'll go on to the following day then i get the next block in which is my two hours of sketching time or, or just drawing time right now i'm working on a rendering of a seascape over here as my drawing table and um so i get that i, I call it my sketch endeavor time so i'm still doing that keeping up with that six days a week and then following that hit the gym get a workout in, then uh, after that, kind of get ready and stuff, uh, spend a, a, an hour with my son in the morning. And then I'll work nearly a full day, kind of anywhere between seven to eight hours at the easel. And then I'll, I'll stop in the evening and I've got a couple of hours in the evening with my wife and son, and then we'll, uh, we'll be off to bed. So it ends up being a really full day, but, but I, I, I like working it in blocks like that. Holy crap, man. Well, I don't know why I'm saying holy crap. I work like 70 hours a week as well, but mine's not as organized. So let me get this straight. So you start at six, the drawing time, then at by eight, you spend time, you go to the gym and then you come back and spend time with your son for an hour. So now we're up to like 10 p 10 a.m. And then you get mm -hmm. eight hours mm -hmm. in. So you're finishing up. Well, six, it's, seven. Near, nearly, nearly. I'm, I'm kind of edging. I'm, I'm still in negotiations with my wife there because it, it ends <laughs> up going past 6 p.m. Okay. And she, she comes and knocks the door. She's like, D uh, dinner's ready. You know, you, you, you said you'd be in here at six. So I'm right. still, I'm still working on that one. But, um, but generally I can get, I can get a good seven hours in, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of between that seven and eight hours there. Yeah. And then what time do you go to bed? Yeah. Sort of around, um, anywhere between eight and nine, anywhere around there. Oh my God. Yeah. So if you go yeah. to bed at nine, you're good. You only get six hours of sleep. So you're full of it. You don't get eight hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never said I got eight hours of sleep. I don't need Come eight on, hours man. of the doctor, sleep. The doctor says eight hours. I'm just busting your chops. Oh, well. That's crazy, <laughs> dude. That's, that's a nut schedule. I mean, mine's not that much different, except that it's all scattered all over and there's no rhyme or reason. Um, I should probably... Right. Right. I should probably learn from your organization skills. That's impressive. Well, I, I, but th there's something to this, Jeff, that... that um, you know, it's my disorganization. I mean, case in point, you know, I, I naturally gravitate towards chaos. Um, you know, we were organizing the podcast. I got the message from you um, last night or the night before last 
and saying, oh, you know, we're, we're still on. We'll see you tomorrow kind of thing. I'm like, what's up? And, and it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, we're doing a podcast. And I was like, is this for my show or your show? Which one was it? Because I, I, I really want to have you back on. But and then you're like, dude, you're, you're coming on my podcast. So, so case in point, I, I can be and, and I think a lot of artists are like this. You know, we're, we're notoriously flaky. So I need a force structure. I need, I need a way to uh, like I recognize that that's my nature. And so I need to find a way to to get everything I need to do within a week um, done and, and get that focused time. Because my if I don't put those constraints in, then little tasks, you know, just the minutiae ends up eating my day. And I go, what, what did I get done today? Um, and, and I think we find as artists that a lot of our we've got a zone that we need to stay in. And so I need to be deliberate and directed with finding that zone. And again, it comes down to that concept of deep work. A wonderful book by Cal Newport yeah, I read called it. Deep Work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so you get you get into that space where you literally have to eliminate everything. And nowadays, you know, man, we, we got everything vying for our attention. You know, we got our phone right there. Uh, Instagram, for instance, I mean, is dangerous in, in this way that we're, we start scrolling. We're like, oh, what's Jeff up to? Oh, there's Thomas. Oh, what's Joe Paquette doing? Oh, there's Samuel. Ir you know, you need to start flicking. And then it's like, oh, it's been half an hour, you know? So yeah. that, that's really <laughs> On a good day. To, that, that, <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. It's so important for me to just kind of get everything clear and just go, we are doing this. Um, and that's also helped with the time that I've been spending with family. So I don't work Sunday at all. Um, and then clearing that, that hour in the morning with, with my son and, and then having a bit of that time in the evening as well. It's like, no, work's done. So I need to compartmentalize that because if I don't, if I don't force that structure, my work ends up eating my personal life. And so I'm thinking about that guy I got to get back to. I'm thinking about this thing I got to do over here. It's like, no, no, you're, you're supposed to be playing with your son, you know, be mm -hmm. here now. And then when you're working work, you know, so it's, it's, it's been something that I've been kind of circling in on and, and trying to find my way. But another another really beneficial thing that I found, though, just from my life um, has been the physical exercise. That's been something else that's really helped me is having a, a pretty rigorous, you know, training regime where I can, you know, really hone that discipline as well. Um, mm -hmm. And and there's nothing like like reading a David Goggins book that will get you whipped into shape, you know. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've you've heard much about him, but he's he's an ultra marathon guy and he's a, a Navy SEAL and just a, an extreme human being. And I was like, okay, after after reading his book, I was like, okay, I, I got a bit more to give. So yeah, yeah, it's um it's interesting, man. I I, I love playing with these ideas because I'm trying to live this well and maximize the gifts that I've been given. Man, yeah, that's inspiring. So I remember when I was uh, first starting my career, um, I tried the six-day-a-week thing, and then one day I came home on uh, Saturday, and my wife said, if you don't stop working on Saturdays, I'm leaving. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, crap. So while my kids were little, I had to reduce it all down to five days a week. And that was really challenging to get everything in. Because like you said, all the minutia, all the busy work, all the emails and, you know, I mean, just the random stuff that you don't think about when you decide you want to become an artist. You imagine yourself just painting all day and then you realize that mm -hmm. you could easily fill a day with just trivial tasks. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, you know, if anybody's listening to this, that is not a professional artist and they're, they're kind of fantasizing about what this is going to be like, you know, get ready, get ready. Cause there's, there's a lot that goes into being an artist, especially now, you know, now artists aren't just art artists. They're online gurus and entrepreneurs, you know, there, there's so much that goes into this and so many things you've got to learn so many things you have to stay on top of. Um, it's pretty intense. It can get pretty overwhelming. So you gotta, you gotta have your head straight, man. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I look, I'm not going to tell my wife, I hope she doesn't listen to this because that might give her ideas. She'd be like, Oh, I know how to get him to stop, <laughs> Should I cut it out? stop working on Saturdays. Should I cut it out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kids are older now, so now I'm back to six days a week, but you know, they, they, they are doing their own thing, you know, but yeah, as a you know, I, when my kids were young, you, yeah, that that time with them is important because it doesn't it goes fast. So you're doing a good thing. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I, no, maybe I should take the Saturday off, man. <laughs> no, that wasn't. Gosh, yeah, that wasn't so a lecture, man. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your life. Like, how did you get mm. into this whole field? And uh, yeah, just tell me a little bit about your history. Where did it all start? Well, I, I, I've never not been interested in it. It's, it's been there from day one. Um, I was raised by an artist. My, my parents separated when I was very young. Um, so my mother left the picture about a year in and she, um, she was actually an artist as well. So my father's sculpting my mother's painting and it was it was just kind of there. It was always there in the environment. I wouldn't say I was forced into it, but for me growing up, there was never another option. There was never anything else that I, I really wanted to do or even thought about doing. Hmm. Um, so we, I grew up in the US um, and I get this all the time from people that have just uh, found me online. They're like, dude, where are you from? So I grew up in Texas um, and my entire family's all from from Austin. And we, we ended up leaving. So when my father remarried, he, he remarried a zoo veterinarian and we ended up leaving and, and she got a job at, um, the Wellington zoo. So we went across to, to live in New Zealand for, you know, about four years there when I was really little, uh, from about six to 10 years old hmm. and, you know, did the typical childhood thing. But I, I just remember as a kid just always painting and drawing and always having projects and always kind of being really interested in nature and animals. And it was just so much part of my life just to kind of be curious. I was also a real loner, um, didn't have a lot of friends uh, growing up. And so it, it was something that, um, that this, this quiet alone time was something that I, I just had an, a, an abundance of, and it was always directed in some creative way. And of course, cause I could see my father sculpting and he was sculpting, you know, animals and he was drawing pictures and stuff, doing designs for sculptures. Um, and so what, what he does is, is realistic animals kind of life size, wow. um, for zoos and museums, mostly throughout the United States. But, um, one of his most famous works is a, um, is a life-size mammoth. Um, and I believe that's in Dallas, Texas. Um, and he just recently got another huge mammoth commission. So he's still going, I mean, he's, he's well in his seventies, uh, late seventies, but he's still, he's still working pretty much every day. I understand. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, so it's just been there, you know, growing up, I'd see him doing stuff. And, and of course, a, a lot of little boys want to be just like daddy. So I was really, um, just, 
totally eaten up with what he was doing and wanted to uh wanted to be part of it wanted to learn i was i was quite curious about it um and so i i became known as the kid that drew you know i i met a lot of and a lot of the artists that i talk to on my show you know that seems to be a common theme for us artists it's like i was always doing it in school i was just known as the kid that drew so i, I kind of got that reputation and that of course i think it reinforces an identity and that stuff that you have when, when you're when you're young you're building this sense of self and that just became so strong for me as an identity. But I did have a, one brief blip. So we 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 left New Zealand. Uh, we went across to Australia. I was um, I was in Perth in Western Australia for nearly twenty years, um, and you know I was going through a little bit more schooling. Uh, did high school, university over there in, in Western Australia, studying fine arts at a university. Um, but I had a little brief blip there where I was about, I could have been about 15, 16 years old, and I'm in a physics exam. And because I, I kind of gotten a little bit nervous, and this happened right around the time that my, my father took a little bit of a hiatus away from his sculpting. He went and got a job. He was working as an exhibits designer and ended up helping turn the Perth Zoo around. Uh, there was a period of time there in the 90s where it was kind of dwindling and it needed to to get some stuff that was going to refurbish the zoo and, and and attract new visitors. And so he was able to put his artistic genius and brains to work there for the zoo and attract a whole bunch of new people. So like huge exhibits were starting to go in, Reptile House, Butterfly House, all this. But when this was going on, you know, he was working at the architect's office. I, I'm getting to an age where I'm starting to become a little bit more aware. It's like, okay, I got to do something with my life. I got to make some money. What am I going to do? I've got to, you know, I want to have a family at some point. I want to, and, and also I was young and, you know, of course you want to have some money because you want to go out here. You want to do this. You want to get that. And, 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 you know, parents aren't going to buy it for you. So you're, you're on your own kid. You, you know, you want that, you go and pay for it. And so I was starting to think, well, you know, art's kind of tough. And, and because I'd seen him kind of step away, I was thinking, well, I'm, I might go into uh, might go into architecture. So I started studying for that. I'm sitting there at a physics exam failing, failing miserably because I just don't have that kind of brain. I just I just don't. Um, and I, I just I realized in that moment, sitting there failing that exam um, that, oh, I don't have to do architecture. I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work. And I realized then that there was actually no other option for me, that I'd make this work or I'd die. <laughs> so it sounds pretty You know, there strange. are other subjects besides physics. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. No, I know. But but just, just I mean, just picture that like like an 11th grade um, kid just kind of thinking this. And I was, I was a really serious kid. Um, and I've always been like that. Whatever I'm doing, I'm all in. But um, I just I just figured it's like this sucks. This isn't actually the path that I want to go down. And and I I want to be an artist. And I just felt this wave of certainty come over me. And and kind of since that point, it, that that identity has never left me. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's been smooth sailing the whole time. I mean, I think to to be an artist and to live that life, you do go through periods of struggle now and again. Um, I've learned to embrace those. And because those are have been some of my greatest learning moments, but um, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, studying through university, uh, doing a, a kind of a tertiary course in fine art. And um, I wouldn't recommend it, by the way, 
Um, I'm really fond of the atelier system. I wish I'd done an atelier um, and and had studied under a master, you know, maybe at the, the, the Heinz studio, that would have been awesome. <laughs> Um, I could have really used some of that instruction. Um, so I, I really stumbled through and had to find my feet in in a in a school in an institution that was ultra modern um, and contemporary. And it was just going, I, I don't belong here. For the social aspect, it was it was great, but just in terms of the course, it, it took me two years to recover from that. Um, where I got a few commissions here and there, I was still making it work professionally. But um, I, I, I basically went pro at 21. I was 21 years old, uh, a little while after, after leaving university. And, so you didn't um, graduate then? No, no, I graduated. I went all the way through. I went at all 21, the way through. so I got, you, you did it in three years? I got years? my degree. Yeah, three-year degree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I think they call it a BA in fine arts. I call it a BS. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I've got my degree here somewhere. I don't know. I've never been. This is the thing about getting a degree in art. You should only be going to university, and, and maybe this will ruffle some feathers. I'm sorry, but I think you should only be going to university if you've got a. If you're going to cut around on me, if you're a doctor, I'm going to want to know that you know what you're doing. You've had training, but if uh, you know, or you're building a bridge that people are going to going to drive on, you you better get some training there. But for the vast majority of things, we don't need to be going to to university. We need to go into something that is specifically tied into that thing that's going to lead to that that outcome that we're after for our lives. Uh, I didn't see it then. I, I just thought I'm, they're going to turn me into an artist. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, it's not that I wasn't warned either. My father did warn me at the time. He said, "Andrew, you're going in here for the social aspect. Remember, you're already an artist." Like, really? really, your dad even told you, and this was back My in dad the nineties. Or early 2000s? No, 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 early 2000s, early 2000s. So, so yeah, my dad told me that. But, but again, um, just my personality, I, I really, and I tried. I tried playing the modern game. I, I got weird and, and crazy. I, I still have, it's so weird. I, I, I still have these on my desk. They're actually big paperweights, but I made some sculptures. I mean, this is a landscape sculpture, which is, it's like a topographical map that's painted to look like a landscape. I ended up with the two worst ones. I, I gave the coolest ones away, but it's clear cast re resin with uh, clouds injected in there. And I painted these little realistic landscapes and sculpted them. So it's like a little slice of the earth's crust. And you could like, look at this thing. And I, and I was making, I was involved. I was really interested in the landscape, but I was told painting's dead, you know, paintings, <laughs> paintings over. You know what's and, interesting and about so, that sculpture you just yeah. showed us is that yeah. you're attempting to be modern but you're still being a traditionalist. I mean that that's yeah. still a, yeah, it's, it's got a me. it's got a modern twist to a traditional yeah craft where cuz you're sculpting well, a realistic landscape but exactly. you're making it a contemporary form. We we, we need traditional we need, we absolutely have to have traditional. I, I think that's that's. I'm just going to say that I think that's the issue with a lot of what's going on today is that we have been separated from our our history and our our tradition. You know, and I know that's varied and I know that's diverse. Um, but it's there there regardless of of cultural background, we all have a tradition of some sorts. Uh, and and for for me personally, like that history of painting. Um, is so so important, and and those things that um, were left behind from from artists from the past, it's just vital that um, we keep that alive. And mm -hmm. and so 
when I when I picked up the thread again, it was it was about 2005. This is when it really hit home. I'd started making some moves in this direction, so it was able to reinforce that that path for me. But I remember this exhibition came to to Perth, Western Australia, to the to the big art gallery, the big art museum. It's called Saint Petersburg, 1900, and it was a collection of old Russian masters. And I, I didn't even I didn't even know of a concept of Russian masters. You know, talking Levitan and um, Repin and and Ivan Shishkin. And I remember standing in front of this Ivan Ivanovich Shishkin painting. I, I've said this in a few podcasts and a, and a bunch of my stuff as well, but it was such a profound moment. And it was his painting called, I believe it was called December, but it's like this huge panoramic style landscape of, of pine trees and fallen pine logs in the foreground, just caked in snow. And it's predominantly just white with this rhythm of like these black to brown kind of tr trunks. But when you look at it, it's painted so realistically and you could see there's just a little bit of a glint of light coming through the, the branches, illuminating a bit of snow there in the foreground and the snow is glistening and it's sparkling and it's amazing. And I remember standing in front of that painting feeling cold and then suddenly I realized, oh, I'm there. Mm. I'm not looking at it a painting, I'm having an experience. And then I suddenly realized, oh, this is why they did what they did. And then I suddenly, it, it just came to me. I'm like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. This, this, is, this, is, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. So um, that's when I really started to, uh, to take it really seriously, lock into that direction. So I started painting landscapes and I started, I, I fumbled my way through in the beginning just picking up techniques here and there where I could because um, my dad wasn't a painter, so he couldn't really guide me, but just a little. And he helped me a bunch with a, with a lot of fundamentals of art. But there was a period there after a few years where I was off on my own trying to find my feet. But having those experiences of looking at the greats, and then I was exposed to the the Australian masters, which, um, you know, it seems like every every country has got their their group of painters that were just so badass around the same time, around turn of the century, late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, whether in the, you're in the UK, you got the Victorian era, or you're in the United States, you got those Hudson River dudes, you know, down in Australia, it's your, it's your Heidelberg school, over uh, in, in Russia, of course, you got the Russian masters. So, um, and there's more, uh, there, there's so many different areas that have, have got those um, painters, you know, you got Zorn, you got Soroya. And, and so I started becoming exposed to these works, but it was the Australian masters, huge scale works like Hans Heysen, Droving Into the Light, um, these big works where it, it was just kind of reinforcing. And so I would look at their paintings, try and break down their techniques, think about it, almost like a bit of a detective, and then I was constantly flipping through books in the studio as I was, I was, I was working. And then I would just put in the work one painting after another, you know, and early on hating what I was doing, but just going, no, stick with it. It'll get better. And, um, and, and, and that was, that was pretty much how it happened. I, I got picked up by, I had my first exhibition, which I, I, I did solo. My family helped me put it together. And I was 19 at the time. And it was, I, I, I call it a sellout show because I had a few abstracts there that um, I'm not proud of. They, some of them sold, some of them didn't. But uh, apart from that, most all of the landscapes sold out on, on, on opening. And um, 
from there, I got picked up by a gallery um, called Gallery 360 in Applecross. Um, it's going on 20 years ago, man. This is such a such a time warp now. But Gallery 360 and Applecross, wonderful couple, uh, Colin and Gabriel Dixon, um, a couple from Zimbabwe, awesome people. And um, they they took me under their wing and, and basically started showing my work and started putting in a direct approach uh, with clients that they had. And then the name started to get out there. It started to build. I, I was kind of the, the new kid on the block and I was a kid. And so I think there was a, there was an element of me being so young and the work being so cheap at the time that it just started this bit of a phenomenon there for the first 10 years of my career. Then I got picked up by a bigger gallery in um, down in the Southwest in the Margaret River region. And uh, that guy uh, ended up taking my work from a from a particular level to to another level entirely, which was a paradigm shift. So, you know, in my early 20s, going from like, well under five grand so now we're at 15 to 20 like we're we're up there now in 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 price point and so that messed with my head a little bit early on uh it took me a little while to stabilize um but after that yeah um went into teaching i went into teaching actually there was a period of time there around the great financial how, how far do you want me to go into this jeff oh i'm curious I'm about this because I, I want to tell the audience <laughs> if they if they're not familiar with your yeah broad um array of talents so you're a very established youtuber you've got close to 600,000 followers i believe of oh, 520 yeah if i have you've yeah, got your podcast which is very successful you've got your school it's i believe you're teaching an online school right now and then you've got your painting right. career so That's yeah right. i definitely want to touch on this cuz i want to I, I i want to pick your brain about how all these things evolved and why particularly the YouTube yeah. channel. But like, go ahead and talk a little bit about how you got into teaching and why. Well, okay, so so around the time of the, the GFC, about tw 2008, um, that, that hit and it hit a lot of people. So there's initially the shock. It's kind of like everybody was freaking out, thinking that they should be freaked out, but nothing had really happened yet in Western Australia. Mm -hmm. So um, I, we felt the initial wave, but it didn't really hit until about 2012, if I'm getting my date correct, but somewhere around that time, which is when um, this, this ripple, this flow on effect had been kind of rolling along. Uh, Western Australia was backed by, by a really strong resource sector, iron ore mainly. And so a lot of my clients were in the mining industry. And almost overnight, as soon as China stopped buying iron ore at the same rate that it was, and they were just as fast as they could dig it out of the ground, they were selling it. It was just all, all going over to China, which would then get processed into steel and then shipped back and shipped all over the world. Um, but overnight, these executives and, and middle management and, and even just people just working at the mine um, were laid off. And a lot of these people were, were my clients. I mean, you could get, there was a time there, and I, I, I'm sure there's still amazing gigs up there in the mining industry. I haven't really touched base with it recent, in recent years. But there was a time there where you could make like 150 to 250,000 just driving a haul pack, like driving a truck mm. around the mine site. You know, you've got to have training. There's stuff that you got to do. But there, you know, there, there are all kinds of jobs where you could go up there and you could be a cook. You know, you're a cook in the city. Okay, well, why don't you go up there and cook for the miners kind of thing? And, and these people were making fantastic wages. And so they would think nothing of it. It's like, I want to buy a really cool painting of the outback of Australia. 
And, and these were my clients. And I remember it was almost overnight, my waiting list was cut in half. Mm. And then a little while would go by, by and then it was gone. And now I'm going, oh, shoot. So I, I've always been somebody, and again, just part of my identity, and maybe it's just my self-talk, which I do believe is really important to kind of master that if you're an artist, mm -hmm. master your self-dialogue. But one thing I continually tell myself is, uh, Tish always finds a way. I always find a way. So if, <laughs> if, if something, if it. something's, well, I, but, but, and by the way, that, that's, that's deliberate as well. Like, because, okay. you know, a bit, bit of a, bit of a split personality thing going on here, because I, I have an identity that's assumed, you know, somebody that I step into when I lock in, I was always called Tish as a kid. My dad was called Tish. My grandfather was called, we we're all called Tish because our last mm -hmm. name is Tischler. So it's like, hey, yo, Tish. Uh, and I have, Ger it's German, um, but I have German people going, you know, that means table, right? I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. Like, and so it's like somebody calling you, hey, what's up, chair, desk, what's up? It's like, it's so weird, but yeah, Tish. So Tish always finds a way. And and so I remember at the time going, okay, I got to make something happen. I, 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 was, I was newly married. I, it's always been so important for me to feel like I was in that provider role. Um, not that my my wife, you know, she she's very independent and and she I know she can take care of herself, but I I it was just a big deal for me to be able to take care of her because I wanted her to be open to doing what she really wanted to do and and just make sure that I could keep everything so that if she wanted to work, she could do what she wanted. Um but I remember thinking about it like, oh crap, I've lost pretty much everything here. Um, and then, of course, I was distracted with all of that stuff that was going on in the world and, and distracted by a few other things as well. But I thought I, I need to find a way that I could um, supplement my my dwindling income uh, from fine arts. And, and it was it was a real crush to my my identity as well, though, uh, to come off the back of such huge success within a microcosm. You know, like like walking away from exhibitions uh, with tens of thousands of dollars in my pocket from doing, you know, commissioned work for some big name people, you know, shaking some really famous hands, having some like high profile clients um, to to just crickets. And I was like, I, and, and that success went to my head. And now suddenly it's like I was somebody and now I'm not. <laughs> so I, I had to find a way to make that work. It was a really humbling experience for me. And so I thought, well, I got to go into teaching, but here's where that kind of self-talk, you know, it can either make or break you. Cause I had this idea in my head, those that can't teach. Cause I was reflecting on my, uh, you mean those that can't days. do teach. That was the, yeah. Yeah. Those that can't do it. will teach it. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and so, and that was something that I heard, I heard my father say that. Um, and so, cause I had such respect for my dad, dad's right. You know, um, and, and still do by the way, uh, you know, but it's, uh, it was just something that I, I, it was just something I had told myself and it became a reference for me. And I, I, I remember it going, well, I've got to teach because it's teach or get a job. And I don't know what it was. And I don't want to shame anybody for that. That's working a job right now or anything. This is just me, just personally, to me, getting a job was death because I had worked jobs before and I was a serial fiery. I, I, I've been fired from pretty much every job I've ever had um, because I had a terrible attitude working for other people. It's like, no, dude, I'm not working for you. It's like, Andrew, see you later. Mm -hmm. you know, don't come back kind of thing. 
Um, and that just comes, comes from being young and stupid. If it was it, me now, if I had to go and get a job, I'd embrace that job. I don't care what it is. I would embrace it and treat that business like it was my business. But I, but I've grown now and I'm, I'm older. So, I mean, you, you can't put an old head on young shoulders. You, you've got to kind of go through it and learn the lesson. But I, I was thinking, okay, it's get a job or teach. And I was enough of an entrepreneur at the time to kind of just do a bit of basic math thinking, okay, if I teach a workshop, let's just get rid of that. Those that can't teach. Okay, get that out of my head. Okay, if I taught a workshop, just taught everything I know, what if I did 10 people, $100 a piece for a weekend, and I teach a Saturday? And then I thought, well, if they're going to pay me 100 bucks for one week, what if they don't want to show up the next week? I'll do a block. I'll do a workshop. Okay, so I'll do four weeks in a row, 100 bucks a piece, uh, 10 people, I'll hire a space, cut my cost, do a little bit of catering, um, kind of work it out. And I started doing the calculation in my head going, oh, shoot, I can walk away from that with about three and a half grand, spread that over a month. So I'm making basically a wage for the week. Of if I had to go and get a job, I just made that in one Saturday. And then I said, okay, well, for the rest of the time, I'm going to try and make this work. I'm trying to figure out my art career. And so I had done that and I booked out the first workshop. It was apologies to the people that were at that first workshop. It must have been a cringe fest, but I, um, I, I didn't know how to teach. I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know how to present. And so I was just working it out. But one thing I did know is I, even though I had the idea of those that can't teach and I felt like a bit of a failure, I love people. I really loved people. And I, I, and I loved that that one-on-one -on -one interaction. And then it hit me. As I'm teaching this workshop, I'm there helping somebody. And I remember just seeing this thing just wash over them, like, like this light bulb had gone off for, the, for this person I was explaining this thing to. I was just mixing a little bit of color. I was showing them how to lay out the colors on their palette. And again, I didn't even really know what I was doing then. But I, I helped them understand something. And then they were genuinely grateful for this newfound understanding. And suddenly I was just like, oh, dang, I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> this is amazing. You mean I can give that to somebody else? And then I realized what I was doing was actually giving somebody else a gift, giving them the gift of painting. And there's something then that I found. It struck me from day one teaching. I was always the kid in the class. I was the youngest person in the class, and I was the one teaching it. And that was the way it was. And, and it didn't, and that trend didn't stop until Jacob Butler, um, fantastic artist, shout out to Shaky Jakey um, on Instagram. Go and follow him. A really inspiring guy. Uh, I had him on my podcast. He was one of my first guests um, about four years ago when I, when I started my podcast. Um, he showed up and, and he was younger than me. I'm like, dude, you're the, you're the youngest person I've ever had in here, you know? And, and he, he did one of my workshops and, um, that was cool. Um, but I, but I remember, uh, just feeling like watching these, these people that were my parents and, and even grandparents age really get into painting. And then it dawned on me, I don't care how old you are, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is. In my class, the minute you pick up a brush, you become a five-year-old. And that's not me. That's not me judging them, saying you're just a bunch of children. Now, listen up. That, no, not at all. I mean, there was this spirit of fun and play, but, but not that we were 
not that we were slinging paint and doing finger painting with cadmium orange, but we were we were and, and not getting in touch with our inner child and doing a little bit of a dance and, and a kumbaya around the fire before we, we get into it. But that there was this this air of just creativity and passion for art where people could find the zone. And 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 suddenly I became just wrapped up with that idea that this is where we're meant to be. And and if anybody had an inkling of uh, for art, you know, just just a little bit of a a a leaning towards that path, you know, as soon as they picked up that brush, it was it was wonderful to see them come to life. And so I felt that well, all they need is just a bit of direction, a bit of guidance here, and maybe I could be that guy here in this room anyway with these ten people. I could be that guy. And so from that point on, I I started teaching workshops, and then. Um, I, I fast forward, I'll, I'll kind of be brief. I know I'm giving you the long version here, Jeff, but no, um, it's good. Uh, but I, I remember um, going on to to do an on plein air uh, painting tour. And we did that. We were in living in Victoria in Australia at the time, just outside of Melbourne. And we I've always been so fond of, of New Zealand. I married a New Zealander. Rachel's from uh, from just just outside of Wellington. And um, as soon as I found out, because I'd spent that time in Wellington, as soon as I met this wonderful girl in 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 Perth, uh, she was working at a cafe. And I, as soon as I found out she was from Wellington, that was it. I was like, "You are, <laughs> you're my dream girl. That's it. I love Wellington." Uh, and I yeah. So, but um, we we had tried to find places around Australia that we had fit, and um, we ended up going to New Zealand for this art tour. Always had New Zealand on my radar. Always just loved this country, and. Um, we 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 did this this art tour and it was around that time that that a lot more kind of things were happening in the background and i was about to take a huge hit that i that i just had no idea which would probably be one of my lowest moments in my career um and and that was a real uh shift again for me so i was already doing the teaching thing but then i got to this point kind of right after that art tour and it wasn't the art tour's fault um, it was a wonderful, like two sold out tours back to back, uh, 10 students each. We went all around uh, this portion of the South Island, the best landscape in the world. People are just like day after day, just looking at these mountains and these glacial valleys and these little streams and forests. And we were taking them on walks, showing them this. Give, I, I, I'm, I'm certain that the students that joined me on that tour, they've still got reference. It's going to last them a lifetime. It's just, it was so jaw dropping. So rave reports there. Tried to do it again, couldn't get the second tour sold. We tried to do one in Italy, but it was around that time that, um, yeah, it just it just crashed and burned for me royally, hmm. and then I had to rebuild, and 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 then I've been able to rebuild to to where where I am now. So hopefully, I don't have to learn that lesson again. Well, I want to know how you transitioned into YouTube from all this. I I remember we had a rental. We were living in Dalesford, which is a little um, town in the hills outside of Melbourne. And beautiful spot. We're living there and we had a rental house and we had like no money. So we ended up going from the house to the studio. And I had a studio that was up at, at the top of the hill. It was an old McCain chip factory making potato chips. And it had been refurbished into a whole bunch of different factory units. It was this one massive shed and then it ended up just being sectioned off into these little individual little units 
and some people were using it for storage. Some people, were, there was one guy using it. Uh, he had an engineering fabrication plant. Somebody else was making breakfast muesli or, you know, granola uh, for those people in the U.S. Uh, she had a little boutique business where she made granola. Mm -hmm. And I remember we was like, well, we got to go and live in the shed. We got to go and live in the studio. And this was right at the time. So when I, when people were watching my first YouTube videos, you know, the Stockman, Russell Petherbridge, the Seascape. I don't think a lot of people knew that I was actually, I was living in that space. I wasn't and illegally, like Rachel and I weren't allowed to be living there, but some people, you know, were also down and out in the, up in that, that spot. And, and I knew of people that were also living in their spaces. And so that felt to me at the time, like complete and utter failure. It was just so, so bizarre to just be there. And so like, I'm reflecting on my life at this point. You know, and, and quite often, you know, we're, we're both in tears, uh, just kind of going, what's happened? Ah, uh, you know, but uh, it's important also in those moments to focus on those things that you can, you can grab hold of and be grateful for. And, and I, I look back at that time now going, come on, man, <laughs> you know, it's not that bad, but it was so important for me to be in that spot because it's what, what it led to. So, and, and it wasn't that long ago, like this, this was, this is actually kind of recent years. So yeah how, how do i how do i kind of catch you up on that so living in the shed something happened though that was was um was quite amazing but and, and also just kind of fill it in so i had the studio space that everybody can can still watch on camera they can see the studio in my old old videos um but it had a shower in the corner and it had um a a toilet and then what we did is we built out of a workbench and a and a little countertop countertop oven that we just bought from the from the store a cheap little so we had an oven and we could we could make a roast in there and we could cook on a on a little skillet and and there was a place where we could wash there's a place to go to the bathroom we had a working place a working space and then we had like a little office where there was a I think they call it a Murphy bed where the bed falls out mm -hmm. of the wall um, we had one of those and there was a fireplace so it was actually quite quite um sounds like a studio apartment by to the, me yeah by the time we got it fixed up you know people would walk in like they they would they would look at it and they'd go oh wow it's actually kind of nice in here because we took pride in the space and i was just like okay if we're going to be here we're going to make it beautiful we're going to uh -huh. paint paintings we're going to we're going to paint the door we're going to keep it clean and swept we're going to just we're going to make this spot beautiful we had two dogs and a cat in that space as well and it was um it was it was kind of an extraordinary time um and then out of the blue a company that makes luxury yachts for the ultra rich. Like I'm talking things that look like they're out of a science fiction movie. Like some of these yachts look like a blade moving through the ocean. This guy gets in touch and he says, I, I would like to commission. We've got an ocean theme for the fourth floor, the sixth floor of this private yacht. So give you <laughs> the sixth floors, floor of a yacht. floors on the yacht, right? Uh, we, we need half a dozen paintings, um, and we need it by this date. Can you give us a price? And as soon as that happened, I was like, thank you. Wow. That, that was an amazing, I, I straight away went out and, and it was at this point that I was starting to kind of go, I, I need an option. I need something to happen here. I was watching art and artists on YouTube, but it wasn't a really big deal then the biggest and still the biggest shout out to Stan Prokopenko, mad respect for that guy. I mean, he stands, stands an absolute beast. Um, and, and it just so, 
taken with not only the quality of his work, but the quality of the business that he's built. And so I was watching some of his videos and, and, and but there wasn't really a lot going on back in 2015, 2016, um, where, sorry, 2016 at this point, there wasn't a whole bunch where, you know, of traditional realist painters. There were a few, but it kind of wasn't as big as it is now. And I remember going, well, maybe there's a gap here that I could fill. Maybe there's something here that I could do. And as soon as this commission came in, I just thought to myself, oh, you know what? I'm going to hire an editor because I, I knew nothing about video production. I knew nothing about you editing. Hired knew nothing about you hired someone. You're still living in around. your studio and you're, you took exactly. the risk to hire somebody. Dude, dude, all chips on the table. I pushed them forward and I was like, yeah, I'm all in. Wow. I'm all in. So I literally gave the entirety of that amount that I'd gotten for that commission to this editor. What did your wife say when you put the, the, the first time you earn a little bit of money with a painting, with a painting and you give it all to an editor? Was she supportive of that? Yeah. She, no, no, no she, she, she was. But in the beginning, um, yeah, I, you can imagine that anybody would have just been like, what are you doing? This is nuts. Like, this is completely... This is ridiculous. Um, but uh, no, I, I remember um, that she she looked at me and was just there. There was a certain certainty about her, and she's always just been my biggest supporter. And I, I've been so blessed, Jeff, to to have her in my life. Um, you know, my my cheerleader, my my confidant, and just just my best friend. And she, I remember her looking at me, just going, you know, I trust you. I trust you. I, I've, I've, I, I, you know, we've got this. So let's, let's just go, let's do it. Let's do it. Hmm. And, um, I, I laid out for her the vision of, of what I thought I could do. And I had some inkling about how I would like the online business to run. Um, and, and I, I was thinking about it, not just going on YouTube. It's like, why are we going on YouTube? YouTube's not going to pay us. We're not going to get any views because no one knows who we are. And, and so how are we going to do this? And so there were a lot of questions that needed to be answered, but it was just this, this constant feeling of Tish will find a way. Uh, Tish always finds a way. So I, I hired this editor. And, and it, actually, funny story about him. Shout out to Samson. Great guy. Um, I haven't spoken to him in years, but he put in a year for us and we, we ended up, um, he, he was actually working for this, this business, this project that I'd started with my brother and was taken on as somebody that was basically a bit of an IT kind of guy. He had all sorts of IT background, but he, he knew, and, and if you know computers, then that's your jam. And there's so many different weird and wonderful things that you can do with computers, but you'll always be to me that, oh, you do computers, cool. Don't say anything else because I'm not going to get it. You know, mm -hmm. so he was, he was one of those technical people. You know, my best friend through high school was one of those weird computer wizard type people. And he's like, dude, do you have any idea what I even do? I'm like, no, you, you're, the, you're the computer guy. You just, that, that's great. You know, but no disrespect, but I, I just, I don't get it. So I, I thought, well, editing, that's computers. That's that weird territory of, of I, I don't understand what any of that's about. So I'm just going to have to hire somebody else to take care of that for me. And I, I one thing I did know which I could get some sense about was story because my painting was all about story. 
sometimes it doesn't translate, but I knew that I wanted to put together a story. So I said to him, can you edit? He's like, I could figure it out. I said, great, you're hired. And so, so it, this was basically not an editor per se. He became an editor, but he was working for this business with, uh, with my brother. And now suddenly a- after everything's said and done and dissolved there, here I'm looking at him going, hey, bro, I've got this thing coming. Do you, do you want a job? Like, can, can we make this work? And so we put out our first video. We cut together a little time lapse of the, um, of the, 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 the portrait of Russell. And we put it up on Facebook and I had my first piece of viral content that your in about first two days, one was got... viral. No, no. So this was a Facebook version, the time lapse. It got seen in two days by about one and a half million people. What the our video went. Yeah. Our video went from a few views, a trickle of views. It took us over three weeks to make the video about a couple of weeks to gosh, it must've been nearly a month to paint the painting. You know, we did the reveal. I was trying to make the cameras work. I didn't understand the equipment. I had one camera that I bought a second camera. Um, and I, I, again, you know, I didn't even know cameras. I didn't even know what to buy, but I heard Canon was good. So I'll get a Canon. So I jumped on YouTube and go in, okay, uh, how to make a YouTube video. And, and I just searched that on YouTube and I saw this this girl come up. I'm all over the map here, Jeff. You might have to bring me in, but uh, but I saw this girl come up on the suggested search, who was doing lookbooks and makeup tutorials, and I was like, okay, she was talking about um, how how to uh, to you know do her th- makeup thing, you know, obviously. But this video was specifically about how she made her videos, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give this a chance and listen to her. It's only 15 minutes, whatever. She said, I recommend if you're just starting out, get the Canon 700D. It's got a little screen that, and I was like, well, well stop. Okay, cool. I'm going to buy that camera. So it was a, it's a few hundred dollars with some of the money. We bought the camera, hired the editor. Boom, we're off. Okay, wait a so, minute. Let's stop. Let's stop here yeah. for a sec. Where is this video? Sure. I think we need to see this video. This video is on my YouTube and it's called, uh, you can pull it up. Uh, let me see on my channel if I can actually pull it up. I can pull um, it up right here in this I, window. So let me. Cool. If you, if you search, um, oh gosh, I think Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, Russell. If you just search Russell on my channel, it'll be 15 minutes, how to paint portraits published on the 1st of July, 2016. One there million you go. It's my views. first video. Yeah, see that 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 video. That's my first YouTube video, and it's it's now sitting at a million views. A, a million, million views. views. Yeah, yeah. All no, right, but let me let's time. just look at this real quick. Hold on one sec. Sure. So here it is. Correct. There you go. Correct. Oh, there's my old intro. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. What do you attribute it to? I'm just going to go sure. pan through here for a sec, just to get the there gist he is. of it. So we went out there, we we interviewed him, we we working. spoke to him. We uh, Yeah, there's a reaction about the painting not working. Look at you, like a baby face right there. I, I know, right? Dude, the last uh, six years have been hard. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so tell me more yeah. about that. I just one thing that came to mind. I remember how we made that. Like, I remember I, I didn't, I wasn't even confident enough to press the keys to 
open up the mic to do the voiceover. So I, I was literally hunched over the microphone. Um, at the time we had one lapel mic. So I was, I was using the lapel mic and I literally Samson's job was just starting the, the recording and I was sitting right there next to him and I was narrating this thing and he would start space bar. Like he was literally just placing a space bar. It took a little while after a little, you know, after a little bit to where I worked out. It's like, dude, I, th I think I could do this on my own now, <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, it, it, it started off that video, a couple of hundred views, then went to 5,000, then kind of started growing from there. And then suddenly my channel started to grow in terms of subscribers, a couple of hundred, a thousand, 5,000. Um, at this point, kind of running alongside this, I had, I, I, I thought I'd, you know, it kind of wigged on a bit of a formula of something about story, something about narrative, something about doing some sort of grand piece, revealing the painting to somebody that I painted, getting a reaction. Um, that for the first few videos, that had become something that was important. Um, and so I, I ended up, um, yeah, kind of growing to about 20,000 subscribers. And I said to Rachel at the time, we're going to do this for six months and put out free content. And then I'm going to, I'm then going to create a product and then offer it for sale because I think I could package these things up and sell them as tutorials online. And so I just said, well, we'll, we'll get the website built. We'll do a downloadable version. We'll do a DVD version and we'll just go into production and we'll, we'll do this. And I think if I build up my mailing list and I put enough good out there and I just, because I love people, I want well, that that's always been the thing for me is I want to show people exactly how I do what I do in the hopes that it will help them um, because I want to give them that gift of painting. And I just thought, well, if I do this, then maybe, you know, I don't have to be because I've always had a difficult time selling. Maybe maybe I don't have to, like, beat down people's door to go buy this thing now that, you know, hey, I've got this thing. If you want to take it further. Um, Go for it. Uh, if not, all good. I'm going to continue to have free stuff on YouTube. And then we ended up launching this product called the Southwest Seascape. In fact, I got it here on my desk. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Jeff, this here is my first my first DVD that I ever put out. This mm -hmm. is uh, the Southwest Seascape two hour oil painting de demonstration, and I remember launching that thing. And I made $28,000 in the opening week from that wow. launch. And then suddenly I was like, from going broke, still living in the shed at this point, to, to then being able to make, a, make, make uh, you know, an income off that. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, there's something to this. Mm -hmm. There's something to this. And so ever since then, I've been a YouTuber. I've built the online business. I've been growing it. Um, and so, yeah, coming full circle to today, it's, it's really, it's really interesting where, where it's come from. So it's gone from living in the shed in the studio to then knowing that we had to get out of Australia. Um, we weren't fleeing or anything, but we just knew that Australia wasn't going to work for us long-term. We wanted to have a family. But we needed to put down some roots and actually find a place that was our own. We kept trying to find places in Australia that looked like New Zealand. And I, I remember we, we had this moment when we had done the art tour. All of these things are kind of happening around the same time. So that this was kind of before, before the YouTube thing. We'd done the art tour. 
And then, you know, kind of things crashed and burned. But I remember talking to Rachel. We're on the marina down in Queenstown. And I remember turning to her going, the Queenstown's beautiful. Like the South Island's so beautiful. It's like, if you could live here, why wouldn't you? And then it's like, it's like somebody was like just slapping me upside the head going, dummy, you can do it. Go, you know, make it happen, make it work. And then kind of from that point, we had, we had uh, you know, tried to make the Australia thing work, but then it was like, no, we, we got to get down to New Zealand. So we washed up on, on Rachel's parents' doorstep uh, with the two dogs and the cat and all of our stuff. And they took us in for about six months while we were looking for a house. And um, then as I, I started to kind of rebuild the, the website, the, the YouTube channel, kept putting videos out there. Now the originals painting business starts coming back and I start getting these gigs. I start getting these, these artists and residencies. And then these projects started coming through just one after another, boom, boom, boom. And then, then we ended up getting a little house down in, in, in Lawrence. And I lived there with, with, you know, we, we, we lived there for about, um, nearly three years. And then eventually here, nearly two years ago, we moved to this new place where I'm, where I'm speaking to you now. Hmm. Um, and the whole time been bringing out videos, been, been bringing out online courses and tutorials. I've started the online Academy. I've built that out. Um, now have, uh, two full-time people working for me. Um, shout out to Ben and Olivia, um, wonderful team, um, and, and helped me do what I do. And so now we're, we're, we're looking forward to the next phase, the, whatever that's going to be. Hey, you know, whatever the Lord has in store for us, I guess. Yeah. But, um, the, the the one thing that I I I really keep coming back to just personally is like I remember those moments, those really dark moments of not knowing what was going to happen, uh, not knowing how we were going to make it, uh, feeling quite stressed out, quite anxious, losing family, losing friends, you know, um, having our world just basically turned upside down. Um, to, to then being able to, in the face of that, to turn around and make something happen, make something work. It's, it's such an important um, road marker, you know, in my life as something to look back on and go, okay. And that's why I tell myself, you know, so when, when the going gets tough and there are challenges, you know, Tish finds a way. So mm -hmm. um, that's just, that's just my, my self-talk there. But, but here, what I'm, what I'm looking at doing now is, um, bringing back that original side to the business and, and f going back in touch with my first love, which is, which is epic landscapes. And a lot of people know me for now for like these epic type paintings. I mean, this was an epic seascape, still one of my favorite seascape paintings, the Southwest seascape there. Um, and so I, 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 I'm going to be now that just in terms of what the future holds and the next steps for me is focusing on these huge works, um, uh, uh, detailed landscapes of New Zealand, mountains, uh, rivers, uh, seascapes, you know, all, all kinds of things, forests, uh, just rocks and ice and atmosphere and mist. I, I'm really, really excited to get into that. So that painting right there, Jeff, of Milford Sound, um, then we, we ended up uh, creating another, another tutorial with that. I think most people online, one way or another, if I had to kind of do a percentage. Most people found me through that painting. That you is, um, talk about, you're right. Epic is the right word for this. For two reasons. I'm one, yeah. I'm assuming based on the level of detail, this scale of this is quite large. 
Yeah, it's over two and a half meters long. So I I, I don't do feet. I'm sorry, I'm a metric dude. But so two that's, and a half that's meters about, by that's one about and seven and a half meters. feet. Seven and a half, eight feet. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. yeah, that's pretty epic. But also, holy crap, is this New Zealand? Yeah. So that's Milford Sound. And that's exactly what it looks like. Oh my much. gosh. Are there any houses available in your neighborhood? Because <laughs> I'm telling amazing. you right now, man, like people, people don't have a clue. Like I, I, I think holy. God used, uh, and, and, you know, sorry, Lord, but uh, I, I think God used all of his best ideas here. Oh I really my do. gosh, I really yeah, you're do. not kidding. Yeah. So I'm just going to pull yeah. up some so, more of your landscapes okay, here. Okay, that's that's the Kimberley region in uh, Western Australia. So that's King George Falls. Um, and so over my career, you know, through through the triumphs and some of the failures, I've had some really wonderful artists and residencies. Um, shout out to the True North. Um, they, they showed me a landscape and I was kind of artistic entertainment on board, doing paintings, plein air, talking to people and just... It was a wonderful opportunity to be able to network, but my goodness, an amazing opportunity to see a landscape that I've never seen before. But that there, that that is a thirty no forty eight by seventy two canvas and mm. uh, inches, and that is the Southwest Seascape. So that I think is even it might be my second video on my YouTube channel. Wow! And um, I don't know how many views that thing's got, but um, but yeah, I love portraits are, too. These are and, really uh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I've always had a thing for birds. I've always had a, a real love for birds. So those are the Brahmini kites, final flight, made a video of that one too. Um, and, and I just was trying to think of creative paintings that I can make and, and cool creative videos that I can make for my channel. Um, yeah. So okay. it's so cool seeing these come up again on the screen. It's I, cause I mean, these are on my website currently live. Right. Right. Um, yeah. This is your I, website. I, I, are you in. on my, you're you're not on my new website though. We we you have I'm, a new we're website. We're still working that out. Yeah, go to tischler.nz. Okay, so this is your new website. So is it live? Yeah, the new website's live, so people can go there now. But so uh, why not just again, get rid of your old one? Why did you not just forward your old one to your new one? Okay, so again, we're getting into the territory here of I don't know computers, and so <laughs> my guy right now we're 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 taking care honest. of it. There's some issue. There's some issue with with domains and, and hosting and all that stuff. Oh, okay. We're, we're getting around it. And so we needed to get this thing built so we could link to it through all of our social media. But this is the thing. When you click those links in the description below videos, for the most part, you should be going to this website. Wow. Um, yeah. So this has kind of been my uh, my my jam and my theme since then. I, I, I love landscapes. I love portraiture. I love birds. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it, coming up here pretty soon, I'm going to be working on um, some much bigger stuff and sharing that with my academy students. My goodness, man, you are prolific, especially considering the level of detail. And no wonder you have to be organized to be able to produce this kind of work and do the channel, your YouTube channel, and be a podcaster and be a teacher. I mean, going back to yeah. our original conversation, yeah. I can see why you've really had to buckle down and make a, a good consistent schedule to get this done. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not done yet. I mean, it's still a work in progress. And I'm still again, I'm still tinkering with the routine. I'm still working some stuff out. And I'm in a human being too. I'm not a machine. And and I do hit those patches of overwhelm. Um, I do hit those patches of frustration. Um, I, I tend to take it really hard if I don't get a solid day uh, painting, I, I or, or a productive day painting, I, I really take that to heart.
Wow. So it's, it's, it's important to, to stay in that, uh, kind of every day hit that refresh button and, and kind of stay in that lane. Um, hmm. yeah, it's kind of cool, kind of cool seeing this website, but I, I, yeah, I just, I, again, I, I'm, I, I'm looking at it as the end user, user as well. Like it's, I, I love what my guy's done with it. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful yeah, website. A wonderful job. So you also do, I mean, yeah. landscapes might be your passion right now, but that's not all you do. Mm -hmm. Like right here, I just pulled up a portrait of Richard Hunter. Um, yep. uh, and it looks like in Aborigine. Yep. Yep. So he's, uh, he's what they call a law boss. So he's the law boss for the Gulara Baloo people up in an uh, area called James Price Point in the top of Western Australia. And going on about 10 years ago, that, that area was, was really controversial, um, because they were talking about putting in a gas hub. There was a development that was going in. And I heard that there was going to be an exclusion zone put in, in in this region of Western Australia. So I I I hightailed it up there because exclusion zone means there's a landscape the Tish isn't going to be able to paint. And then I ended up hearing a bit more about the story. I met this guy, and I think this is the reason why I ended up going. Hmm. Um, I was distracted by all sorts of other things, but I remember this guy. We, he took us for a tour down the down the beach um, just to show us around. And I remember looking at his eyes and he was looking out to sea and this is him looking out to the ocean. I'm looking at him and I remember looking in his eyes, seeing the reflection and, and it's almost like you can make out the oil rigs that were dotting the horizon. Hmm. This is his people. Like this is the area that he's from. And I don't mean to say industry bad, you know, and, and, or anything like that. I, I'm not. I don't want to judge anybody because I, I, again, I know that some industry is important, but for him, this had a particular impact. It was fundamentally changing the landscape that he knew. Mm -hmm. And um, at that moment, I just lifted the camera up to my face and I just took a snap of him. And then I asked him, I said, bro, can I paint you? The, the presence to him, you know, there, there was something about it. Like w when he was walking through his land, it wasn't just, this is a so-and-so species of tree, and it is found in this area. No, it was, this is the tree. This tree has a presence to it. This is where we do a particular ceremony or, or something, or so-and-so is buried under this tree, or so-and-so was born here at this. But there were, there, they were almost like an entity. The, the intimate knowledge that he had of the landscape, as if there was no separation between him and his environment. I just found that so ridiculously inspiring. And um, this guy really made an impact on me. And um, yeah, so I painted him. I ended up uh, putting this uh, in a in a show, uh, also in um, in in the gallery. It was not for sale at the time, um, and I, I refused to sell it. I tried to enter it into a competition. Like people, like you, you, you should enter. Uh, you know, th these, these competitions, Black Swan, Archibald, all these big name uh, competitions over in Western Australia, I've been rejected from every one. Um, and so I, I, I just don't, I don't really play that game. I, I, I didn't do it for the right reasons. I didn't apply for the right reasons. Looking back now, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't get accepted again, not to judge people that do the competition route. It can be very important for a lot of folks, but for me, it's just not something that I do. But I, I remember this thing just, uh, yeah, coming back and, and we were we were exhibiting it and and I ended up getting this one gentleman who offered me a price that I just couldn't refuse at that point. It was just really? like, wow. And it kind of set a new benchmark for the uh, 
for the portrait. And so wow. it, it went to the right person. It went to the right person. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So I want to look at a couple more of your portraits. Um, I mean, the level of detail that you put pull, into your portraits up, is um, pretty extraordinary. Pull up Tuhoy, the gentleman with the white hair and the facial tattoos. Just go up from where you are. Okay. Up two or three. Right here? Right there to the right. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, right there. This is one of my favorite portraits of all time that I've done. Um, it, this this gentleman's name is Tuhoy. Uh, uh, his real name is Bruno Isaacs. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's a Maori gentleman and, um, I met him, he was selling his book called true red on the Marina in Queenstown. And again, I have these moments where I'm like, I, I'm, I'm meeting somebody. I'm like, Hey dude, can I, can I paint you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I, I'm really drawn to people that, that seem to have a story written on their faces. And this guy literally, <laughs> literally in this guy's case, <laughs> ta 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 tattooed to his face. So they, they call that a moko. Um, and He's the most extraordinary gentleman. Like he was, he's an ex-gang leader um, for a gang called the the Mongrel Mob, a notorious biker gang here in in New Zealand. Um, you know, a nasty bunch of people. But he came out of that, gave his life to the Lord, but it ended up ultimately becoming a a force for good and a real positive, going from such an extreme negative to a real positive. And I I really. There's something about that that I also found, you know, really inspiring. This kind of Saul to Paul story that people can change, but sometimes it takes something really profound, and and people can be used. They can turn it around. They can be used for something good. Hmm. And so um, I, I spoke to this guy, and he was open to the idea. I remember him coming through the town, Lawrence, where we were at the time. He, by this stage, he'd forgotten all about me and all about the idea. And I remember like walking up to him <laughs> and I, 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 I called to him across the street because he was, he was eating carrot cake out the front of the cafe. And I, I shouted out to him. I said, Tuhoi. And he's just like, lifts his chin. He's like, what up, bro? I said, you said you were going to call me. He's like, I did. I'm like, no, you didn't. I walked over and I, then I soon realized that he had no idea who he was talking to. And we had no idea what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, he's pretending like, he you called said you. Gonna, you, you were saying, you said you were going to call. He's like, I did. Uh, and then he was suddenly like, I said, dude, you, it's me, Andrew, the, the artist where I was going to paint you. And then as soon as I could see, I was, he realized it. He just gave me this great big hug. And he's like, let's, let's go do it now. Let's talk now. And I was like, well, I'm not set up. But, you know, we came back across the street to my studio and I just said, well, let me take a couple of pictures. And he's the most animated guy. He was like using his hands, his face. He was telling stories. He was cracking jokes. And I was just, I was just shooting these photos, just going, just taking all these, these photographs. And I found this one where just in this one moment, he looked back at me and, um, I was like, that's it. If you see the reference material, the reference is actually, um, and it's, it's on, it's a YouTube video. You'll see the reference in the YouTube video. You can see he's wearing his route 66, get your kicks on route 66 t-shirt. So mm -hmm. even the t-shirt in this painting's made up. The hairstyle, I had to zhuzh a little bit. I had to get, get a little bit of fru in there and, uh, and, and kind of uh, uh, embellish it a little bit. But the face with that look in the eye. Um, and so, yeah, this was one of my favorite portraits. And I, I'm really inspired by an, a New Zealand artist called Charles Goldie, Charles F. Goldie, who painted the most exquisite portraits of Maori people. Um, and really just... Uh, 
yeah, told stories with paintings. And I've seen a few of his originals and just been so moved by them. And I thought, well, I'd love to break this down and try and work out how he did what he did. And and it's quite nice to hear, like, well, I have a few visitors now and again come to our home and this is hanging in my home. And I'm not going to sell this one apart with it. Yeah, that's what um, you said about you the other one. Unless, unless you offer me a good price. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I, 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 people look at it and they go, oh, it looks like a Goldie. You know, and I'm like, yeah, oh, wow, yes, that's cool. quite a compliment, right? I mean, I'm not familiar <laughs> yeah, with his work, but obviously you look up to him. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so. Well, it's extraordinary. I mean, the, the, the level of expression and detail in his eyes is, is just extraordinary. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Great, oh, great you. work. So, okay. So of the two, what is, I mean, I said, well, pull up, pull up uh, Russell Petherbridge before we move on, pull up Russell Petherbridge, bottom left-hand corner. This one. There you go. Bottom left. Yeah, there he is. So that's the first YouTube video. There he is. That's the one. This this guy never wears a collared shirt. I don't know why I had it in my mind that I said, I'll put a collared shirt on because I like the structure. And so he's got the worst looking crumpled collared shirt. I'm like, it's great. That's going to be so much fun to paint. Oh, so, what did you do? Uh, Just put on yeah. a mannequin and shoot it or put it on somebody else and shoot it? No, I put it. I put it on him. Oh, you he, did he put, put it, it on, on him. <laughs> so he's like, I don't have a I don't wear collared shirts. I wear black ripped T-shirts. I should have kept him in a black ripped T-shirt or whatever. You know, because he's there out with angle grinders and bits of metal is burning holes in his shirt and stuff. So I had him go and get this thing and pull it out of his closet. Of course, it probably hasn't been worn in years, but uh, he almost looks a little uncomfortable in the shirt. Looking back at this <laughs> he's now. like, why are you screwing but, um, my identity, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This ain't me. Um, yeah, but it was it was it was so much fun. I still have the painting um, that that original painting. And don't yeah. uh, and, and you're you're not going to sell it unless someone offers you the right price. <laughs> yeah yeah you're starting to see a theme coming up here right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's I not get, all I about the it. money so they offer you the right price <laughs> yeah and lately you've been doing a lot of wildlife stuff so i want to pull up your uh your instagram and and also these fun still lifes that you've been doing these toy still lifes are oh trip. man yeah so i wanted to uh so this one here these are my son's toys and i wanted to i was playing with an idea that you know because I, I get emailed run, running the academy and and the youtube channel and and the online business like we, we hear from from dozens of people every day like it's it's it can get quite overwhelming the amount of correspondence um so we need to have a way to manage that like if you don't have systems in place to manage that it can be quite daunting but i, I remember seeing this one message that had come through and and i i took the time to to talk with this person back and forth a little bit but the the comment was and it's not the first time it's happened somebody was saying look easy for you you've got all of these magnificent landscapes near you um <laughs> I, i've got nothing to paint i don't i can't walk outside and see a mountain i got nothing to paint so what do i do and i said well and, and, to, and to borrow from from joe paquette somebody that i've got an enormous amount of respect for i, I just love that guy he's an incredible artist and it's such a such an amazing um thinker like he's just such an inspiring guy um you know, he said something that was like along the lines of, you know, not everybody can can go and paint the Grand Canyon. You got to learn to find the Grand Canyon in your backyard. Mm -hmm. When he said that, and, and and when I interviewed him, it just resonated with me. I was like, yes. And and I I've said similar things, but not in the not in those words. But I I I remember telling this person, I said, you've got plenty to paint. You're just not looking right. 
you know you've got to see it through the, through the eyes of the painter see see your world around you through the eyes of, uh, of a painter and realize that everything can be broken down in paint you've just got to learn to see the adventure in it and until you get to that point where you can see the adventure in an onion mm -hmm. you know that 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 i think is something that that is so vital for us as artists to 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 get right it's not about getting somebody else to care don't forget about that put that out of your mind you care you put it in first and so i would say look you know don't fixate on this stuff that you don't have what do you have what do you have access to so i i i was looking at this going okay well i i need an exercise where i can talk about color theory and how to mix any color that you can see mm -hmm. um and i also want to make the point that you can paint anything and have it turn out to be cool and so I was looking at this toy that this, I, I don't know, his nickname here in our house is Radioactive Robot Chicken Dragon Man, because I have no idea what he is. But he's, um, he, he Usually looks like some nicknames sort of weird are experiment. shorter. I mean, just, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not mine, bro. Uh, but, but I, I, this pull along toy that wobbles its wing, it's a popular toy. I mean, it's an old vintage type thing, you know, it's, it's so. Now, I, I think I remember seeing something that's similar as a kid, if not something identical to this. Um, but I was looking at it because its body is segmented in different colored blocks, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was I was trying to talk to my students how to match those colors, but also, you know, through this this these considerations of line, tone, or value, color, and edge, um, through these considerations, how can we really unpack, but first have the feeling and care for our subject? And then can we, by adhering to those principles of line, tone, color, and edge, develop some sense of form, depth, light, and material? Mm -hmm. so, so the first four leading to the second four. And, and I think often we get caught up in trying to be popular, do something to somebody else, you know, be, be too much in the viewer's head. We need to be there first emotionally invested with the piece. And so this was an exercise in really connecting with something totally random that I was thinking, well, I wonder if I can do that, you know? Okay, okay, hotshot, put, put your money where your mouth is and, and, and you do it. So I did. And it ended up becoming like one of my favorite paintings um, that I've recently done. Um, such a blast, so much fun, because I ended up looking at it and, and obsessing over chips and paint. Mm -hmm. You do this. I mean, my goodness, dude, that still life that you did called Consumed. Oh, dude, I was thinking was a, about that, that while so I was painting work. this. <laughs> you were, no oh, kidding. Oh, I, I know. I know. I, and, and I was eating up with that painting, man, just looking at it going far out, dude. And, and even like painting those little chips of paint that, it, that have fallen away from these wooden toys going, what would Jeff Hine do here? How would he approach this technically? <laughs> I appreciate that. But, uh, but uh, it led to the next one. It's a third along there on my Instagram, the Velociraptor, the DeLorean, uh, the X-Wing fighter. And uh, I, I think you'll find a full image somewhere on my Instagram there. But I, I, I had my guy cut these into little reels. But you might find a full image of it that I've posted, maybe. I, I've posted a lot the last week. If you want to, we can get into social media and that whole deal as well. Okay, that's, so here's uh, a full image. That's a quagmire. Of the There's still life. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good. Yeah. And there's the reference. Yeah. Great. There's there's a there's a reference. So these are by the way, these are painted from life. So not right. Not right. Reference probably the wrong so word. There's so still life. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And then the jet fighter. I haven't seen that one. Oh, maybe I haven't posted. Oh, it looks like I can post that. I want to stick then. around here for a minute because I, I do want to get into these animals. But go ahead and finish your thoughts about that. Well, no, no. So so I, I ended up doing this thing that I, I was thinking I could get out 
quickly, but I ended up taking a long time. But it was a fun painting of of just things that were important to me when I was a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm a I'm an '80s kid. I was born in '83. So growing up in the eighties and nineties, you know, you, we've got, we've got those, those common things that I think we share. If you grew up in that same, you, you mm-hmm. were probably watching Star Wars, Batman, Back to the Future. You probably saw Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're probably, you know, it, maybe some people miss that. That wasn't important to them, but uh, th- there were some, there were some heavy hitting movies back in the day that I remember shaped us and, and our identity. And I, I look back at that time kind of fondly. Not that I'm a big movie guy. I'm not. I'm not really into pop culture now at all. Uh, in fact, I kind of shun it. I, I don't really get into it at all. But um, I remember back in the day when it was good and we had cool stuff to play with. And we had <laughs> mm-hmm. we had cool things to watch. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, didn't, it didn't feel like so much of an like an agenda being forced down our throats. You yeah, know? you just brought back was, this was, memory for me of sitting in the back of one of those old wood sided, um, uh, what do you call those things? Um, I can't even remember the kind of car it is. You know, those, uh, the wagons, the old wagons from back yeah. in the seventies. Yeah, man. Yeah. Sitting yeah. in the back of one of those old wagons watching one of the star Wars in 1979. Don't ask me which star Wars it was, but I, I was five years old. I'm like, man, fantastic, man. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Old, old school movies. Yeah. There. Yeah. Awesome, dude. All right. So tell me awesome. about what you're doing now with the animals. Cause I've been no- following you on Instagram and you've been really focusing a lot on these gorgeous drawings of animals. What's, yeah. what's going so on? So I, I, I've been, um, and I'm doing a quite a big one at the moment, um, of, of some cows and water. I, I really just wanted to work on a theme of painting what's around me but also balancing that out with some of the really epic things that I've seen. But um, truth be told, I'm starting to niche down a little bit or niche down mm-hmm. uh, into, into my jam of, of epic landscapes for a bit. So I, I'm going to go ahead and finish up the cow painting that I'm working on at the moment. Um, but I just, I, I think there's, I like this idea that again, you know, like finding the adventure in an onion, I, I'm interested in this idea that sometimes something that's so common can be just so jaw-droppingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when we look at things that we often look walk past and, and take for granted, when you really look right, you can actually find love and appreciation for that subject. And here, cows are like a dime a dozen, and sheep are everywhere. I mean, it's New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And there, there's there's farm animals everywhere. So we got horses and sheep and cows. Horses don't seem to suffer from the same kind of stigma that 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 the the sheep and the cows do. But mm-hmm. I, I I look at these creatures and I just go, man, they're 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 beautiful. They are beautiful. And so I I really wanted to create a series of works about this and. Take my academy students for a journey of showing how an idea gets developed from concept, from reference to, you know, taking into account some historical references and inspiration to then, uh, you know, working this up into a bigger painting and showing them the groundwork that goes into that and trying to walk them through a process so they can do this with their own work. Because the preparation really uh, is is most of it i found and i spent a lot of time in preparation and in design and studying studying my subject you know whether that's drawing from a photograph just trying to unpack the anatomy as i go 
um, or trying to reinvent a pose or just doing some loose sketches, just trying to work out the character of my of my subject. So mm. that's what you're seeing here is, is this is me kind of working out. Um, and and I, I I get that daily sketch time in now to thoroughly work out ideas. But I'm finishing up a big cow painting at the moment um, that I'll be releasing to my academy students and showing them the process there. And then I've, I've already started changing tracks again here, and I'm going back to my first love of, of epic landscapes. So I'm painting, I'm going to be painting a huge seascape here, and I'm working on the drawing right now. I've got a rendering up on the board. I think I posted something on my Instagram recently about that one. Hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting uh, looking at this. And of course, I got some podcast reels there as well. Yeah, I will say this Instagram though, though really as well. Something, something, um, something that uh, I, I found recently, I did a couple of master copies. I did one of Lucy Kemp Welsh's In the Orchard. Mm -hmm. um, and I did one of Arthur Wardle's Silent Watchers, which was The Lion's. And that was really beneficial for me to kind of unpack technique and open up my mind to a different approach. I, I will say, though, that as I try to adopt that and, and apply it to my own work, I find that I end up gravitating back towards what I just naturally do, which right. is trying to make something look ridiculously realistic. How far can I go off in, in that direction? And it's difficult to do because a lot of these scenes that people are seeing a lot of them are actually made up. Yes, you can recognize King George Falls. Yes, you can recognize Milford Sound. But you can't just go to these landscapes and take a photograph that looks like that. The sky was invented to fit the composition. The foreground had to can be completely redrawn to direct the viewer via the series of vectors that leads to the central focal point. Mm. Um, and so that sometimes doesn't line up in, in a photographic process. You have to be right place, right time, right subject, click, and then, you know, it, that takes some talent as well. Like I've got a, a friend who's a, who's a great photographer, Will Patino, amazing guy, amazing photographer. And, and, and so he's got some talent. He's not just a camera owner and operator. He's a, he's a proper photographer. And um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it might be different for him, but for me, my, my reference material that I take is just basic, basically point and shoot happy snaps of the landscape. So I have to just kind of recreate this thing out of my mind with drawings and all of these different processes. I use a bit of digital too. I use Photoshop, but not to manipulate photographs to redraw the landscape from scratch doing digital painting. Hmm. So th those can be really involved as well. And um, I posted several of those on my Instagram uh, of, of very detailed digital drawings. Um, really? Where? Okay, and so, let's look at. Let's look for okay. those real quick. Where? Where? Okay. Okay. Pull up to the top, or no, no. Oh, there, there you go. You just, just scroll down a little bit. Scroll down just a touch. A couple more. A couple more. A couple more. And right there, boom! That landscape right there with mountains and rocks in the water. This just go one? up, up. Uh, no, no, up one more. This one. And to the left. There, right there. There you go. Boom. That's it. That's digital. So that, that's a digital painting. Yeah. That's a digital painting. That's a digital painting, yes. I yeah, can't so even scroll tell. through the carousel. Yeah, scroll through the carousel there and and have a look. You can uh, there there's a few images there where you can see the 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 marks uh, that that went into that. What? So this is yeah, this had to be completely redesigned from the ground up. Um, and yeah, I, I don't there's think no sign I, of photograph I, left. But because there's no photograph to begin with. Oh, this is all out of your head. 
this is a digital painting. So I'm using references, but here's what I'm trying to say. Okay. I'm not taking the reference in and porting it into Photoshop and drawing over the reference material. Oh, I don't do so that. So you're just looking at what, a reference what, somewhere else and then you're drawing Exactly. So I've got a, I've got an ex, ex Exactly. Yeah. So I've got an external display here and I, I'm, it's basically like concept and digital artists do all the time, every day for movies and video games and stuff. I, I was a huge, I'm a huge fan of Fang Zhu. And, you know, I got, I got a couple of people that I'm in touch with uh, around the place. Shout out to Anthony Avon. You know, th these guys are, are badass digital painters and they do, um, they do landscapes, but they draw it up from scratch without the use of, of trickery, like, pulling in a photo and, and manipulating that, stretching it, warping it to mm. fit their composition. Look, nothing wrong with that if you end up with a great composition and it's your process. But for me personally, I want to make it. I want to do stuff. I want to mm. I want to kind of work on my skill. Like I want to create, I want to have a skill set that's just undeniable, you know, and not as an ego thing. It's for me. I'm trying to prove something to myself that it's like, yeah, you did that. You created that. So you are know? you familiar so with David that, Dibble? I interviewed him on my podcast. Yeah, I am. Okay, so he's yeah, also right. one that does some pretty elaborate Photoshop painting. And then he'll go in and paint from his Photoshop painting. Right. Yeah. So Yeah, cool. Yeah. If you're if you haven't seen some of that reference that he does, you might want to check it out. It's really interesting. But this is like so, this is next level because this is finished. I mean, are you gonna paint this in paint or is this the art in and of itself? Yep. Well, it could be the art in and of itself, but for me, a painter's got to paint. I'm a painter first and foremost. And so for me, this was always a means to an end. Okay. I know that upset some people when I posted videos about this stuff on, on my channel. I, and I would describe the digital process as a means to an end. And I remember I got one comment where somebody was like, well, please show the medium a little more respect. I'm like, well, how about you chill out, <laughs> Everyone's guys? so you sensitive. Know, this is just me. People are so sensitive now, aren't they? I swear. It's so bizarre. Um, Oh, but man. Uh, for me, for me, this is just a way for me to get the idea really worked out, like mm -hmm. really solid. So if you go back to the top, I'll show you another um, another Instagram post here where if, if find the horses kind of close to the top of the page. There you go. Boom. Click on that. Then no, no, down, 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 right in the middle, right there. Boom. Yeah. So as you go through here, you'll be able to see my digital design for this as well. So this is an example of how digital ends up becoming a final painting. So here's a painting kind of takes you through some stages here. So this is after I've transferred up my, my digital design. This took ages because every horse had to be designed and drawn digitally freehand. So wait, so which is the digital the, and which is the painting? You're looking at, you're, you're looking at the digital right now. So this spread here of these two in this carousel, this is the, digi the, the digital painting. The way you paint digitally does not look like digital painting. I don't know what you're doing, but it's... Well, there's, I, I, I use a set of brushes called Groot brushes um, mm. made by a guy named Nikolai Groot. And so they, they are so ridiculously intuitive and like paint brushes. It's, it's as close as I've found to painting in Photoshop. And I've got a couple of go-tos, which create a really beautiful fragmented wow. mark. I think that the, the trick is you want to get an edge where two shapes meet one another. You want to get an edge that's not so slick and sharp. Everything's so damn sharp when you're either photographing it or, you know, for years I'd been trying to, to create a, a, a look that was, you know, 
painterly, but but you know, digital seems to be a little bit too harsh. Yeah. And so finding these brushes, I, I I've been using a collection that as you drag in it through that digital paint, it grabs other pieces and starts mixing it in a no little kidding. bit, creating this chattered effect, which is which really helps. And so then again, you you can like increase the size of the brush, decrease the size of the brush. There's a lot of range of versatility. Can you increase and decrease the amount of blending it does too? Um, I haven't worked out that option. What I tend to do is play with the opacity of the stroke. Okay. So again, I'm not a great technician, but I, I have a particular method that I found has worked for me. Okay. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm also, I, I'm a serial learner. So I, I will try to pick up these skills and I'll sit down and take the time and watch tutorials and teach myself how to do it. Right. Um, you know, so. What a great the, time we live Photoshop. in. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, that you it's can amazing. just jump on. Yeah, you. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know how to use this brush. I'll just jump on YouTube for 20 minutes and figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. And and look, not only is it great for us to learn and grow, but it's it's a wonderful business opportunity for anybody that's just got an inkling that thinks that they can make this work. Like I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'd want to go into medicine or law or anything like that because I'd be worried I'd starve to death. It's much more profitable being an artist nowadays. Yeah. Way better. So, uh, okay. So I, I guess it's a two-part a two final question. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I, I, that really inspired me about this interview is just your, um, your grit. You know, and I don't want to say business sense because, you know, when people say you're successful because you're a good business person, <laughs> I find that sort yeah, of insulting. Right. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'd like to think I have a good product, but I think, uh, I think what it, what I, what I'm saying is like what I just said to you, what I'm trying to say is you have grit. Like you, you just, you make it happen. And as you put it, Tish will make it happen. I wonder if you could comment a little bit more about that because, um, well, let me yeah. say one more thing about that. My thought, one of the thoughts I had while you were talking is that a lot of artists, mm -hmm. so they subscribe to this idea of a starving artist, right? And if it doesn't work out, oh, yeah. it's yeah. kind of um, like, oh, woe is me, you know, there's being an artist is so hard and this, and it is, you know, and uh, we've all been there with the woe is me stuff, but, mm -hmm. but the way I look at it is 95% of businesses fail in the first five years. That's businesses. And That's as an nuts. artist, you think about that. Yeah. yeah as an yeah. artist, you are not an artist. You are a business. If you want to pay your bills with this art, you are a business. You're a business that has a product and you got to figure out how to get it out in front of your customer. Right. So mm -hmm. if you think of it that way, then you, it, you know, you really have to face reality that you are 95% are going to fail unless they become a great business, unless they develop grit, unless they develop the work ethic that you've yes. described in your day-to-day -day life. Can you comment yes. a little bit more on that? A absolutely. I, I can speak to that because it's, it's so important that we master our mindset and something that I, I spend a lot of time focused on. I, I do a lot of personal development work and I think it's important that we have references from our past, something that we can be certain about, something that we know worked well because artists, I mean, look, you might be the same. I, I know I am. I know of dozens of artists out there where we, we naturally kind of gravitate towards the negative because we're kind of sensitive 
people and we we do things um with, with care and emotion but there there seems to be this tendency for us to fixate on things that don't really make us feel like we could be feeling it and if there's something that I'm I'm really learning so much about and it's becoming so important for me which is mastering that state of how we show up hmm. and so when you say also like with 95% of business out is out there uh, failing that can immediately put you in a negative mindset where and this is not positive thinking this is not just to kind of you know try and think positive pull yourself up by your bootstraps and 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 tough through it it's it's more you know we've also got to be a little bit clever about this 95% of businesses out there fail most artists probably fail but what we need to do is focus on those that don't and work out what it is that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Success leaves clues. If you want to get what they got, you have to do what they did. And so I try to focus on a couple of things. One, those references from my past of where I was able to demonstrate to myself and reinforce that identity of I found a way. I found a way there. I found a way there. I, I went through that and I'm still here. So I found a way. So there you go. That becomes part of my my character. And then it I reinforce it the more I say it. But I'm also looking for other people that found a way and going, okay, and I wouldn't be shy about that. I mean, part of my podcast, a huge thing is just really drilling down and going, how do you do what you do? Like, what, what is it that you're doing here? What makes you tick? What are your secrets to success? What are those clues here? And the reason I'm so obsessed with success and mindset is because I got a family to feed. I got people to love on. I'm trying to build something here that is gonna last, hopefully generations. And that's going to take me showing up at an extraordinary level. So getting that mindset right, trying to focus, yeah, predominantly on the positive, but also in the face of negative, try not to be the one fixated on the problem, but always look for opportunity and always look for solution. That's mm -hmm. something that's vital as well. So we live in a day and age where, you know, we, we've, for goodness sakes, we, we've got the internet. And, and as long as I'm allowed to use it, and I say that in regards, maybe I shouldn't go down this rabbit hole, but, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the world. The world's kind of a bit of a shaky place, but maybe there might be some sort of ID at some place, some point where I'll have to show a particular digital ID to even be able to jump online. And they're talking about stuff like this. So, you know, there might be a point where it's like, I'm no longer have access to all of this wonderful information and connecting with people all around the world. But right now I've got a vast history of knowledge at my fingertips business insights at my fingertips so many my, my pick of the bunch of of people that i could learn from that have made content for free that have put out there on youtube so i can find a solution to a problem that i've got instantly and so i i'm i'm a serial learner i'm always learning stuff and i'm always listening to stuff that i find empowering not stuff that i find disempowering so i shut off the news um i used to be a huge alternative media junkie so i was on all of those you know, websites, and I, I could tell you the latest thing about the latest conspiracy theory or this or that or the other completely hijacked my internal feeling of well-being and mm -hmm. just love, you know, and so I, I this year has been consciously directed towards things that build me up in a positive way so I can provide a better service. The other thing as well is that I think we, we need to change our focus. You know, you want to shift your reality, shift your focus. And again, I'm not I'm not some new age you're saying that we're you, we're going to meditate your way into a new reality or, or a paradigm. I'm not that kind of guy. But what I'm saying is, you know, shift your focus. You you experience the reality that you actually focus on. And when you're focused on something that is 
negative that brings you down that that is a problem then what ends up happening is that ends up consuming most of your energy and time but you could be focused on something else so i try to spend more time like deep focus of, of being present with what I'm working on and try asking myself constantly, what do I love about this? What do I love about this? How can I paint that? How can I make that work? How could I unlock a new understanding for somebody else? And then trying to appreciate like little moments when I'm with my son. Like yesterday, we're walking down, just a little thing. We're walking down the driveway, about to go and turn over rocks on the beach to find crabs. He loves looking for crabs under rocks. He's just that age where everything's cool. And I reach out my hand. I want him to go pick up my hand. And he, he grabs my finger. We were holding hands and he's, we're walking down. And it's just that feeling of his little hand around my finger. I just was like, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. You know, being present in that moment. But, but also when you go into business, being present for the people who you serve. Like I, 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 I don't look at my followers. I mean, yes, there is a reality to following to it to numbers and a following and metrics and kpis and all that stuff but i fixate them as people and i try to know as many names of the people that are following me on my academy and i even see common names come up all the time on my youtube channel they're always you know first to comment you know and and so i'm looking at these people and those are people those are my people and i get to love on them i get to serve them i get to do whatever i can you know maybe they'll, they'll they've just shown up maybe they'll leave one day that's fine but while they're there i'm going to just come at them with a spirit of love and sharing and just genuine gratitude for them because the my my over the the question that that is my predominant question over my entire career you know my online career anyway has been how can I help you? And again, going back to that moment where that, that gentleman had an, an understanding, a light bulb moment in my class. And I was like, I just helped this guy unlock a new understanding for how to mix this color. And now he's like buzzing because he's like, oh, I can do that. Like once you learn a strategy, once you learn a methodology and that becomes yours, that's a gift you can give somebody. Man, I'm addicted to that. So I, I just want to love on my people and give them as much information as possible. You know, and, and I did something recently and, and I, I don't want to just talk about it and make it sound like a good feel good kind of thing. But I, I also try to be about it. You know, it, it's, it's such an important part of, of who I am. But I, I, I made an ebook. I made my studio guide, which is a PDF, which is over 100 pages. Um, my guy, my, my, my Internet guy, the, the guy that I've partnered with here, um, my computer wizard, um, such an extraordinary dude. Uh, shout out to Benjamin. Um, uh, he was saying, dude, you, you, we can't we can't send this out. We can't deploy it through the normal channels that we do because your your ebook is enormous. Like we need to get it under five megabytes. I'm like, what is it now? He's like 75. <laughs> I'm like, oh, mm. you know, this thing, this thing's massive. And and I don't know what that means. I, I understand. I guess it could be a, a, a bit. But um, like people can have that right now and it's free. It's absolutely mm. free. So demonstrations there on how to paint a, a landscape, how to paint a portrait, how to paint a still life, breakdown of my materials and processes. This is and, on your website? I'm putting, yeah, so so you'll see the first uh, screen that comes up is get your free studio guide. It's the okay. image of Tuhoi there, that portrait, where people can click that and download that. If they go to tischler.nz, and then they'll find that, that uh, image there on the screen, and they can get their free studio guide. And then with a lot of the YouTube d demonstrations I put out, I, I give studio notes for free as well. I, I really mm. want to get as many people painting as possible. But my point is this, Jeff, um, that, that when we go into business, we can be really focused on ourselves and what's in it for us. 
the minute I do that, I become miserable because mm. it's not enough. Like it's, it, there, I, I can never find a limit to that. But the minute I focus on serving others, making a painting, making this painting so good that I, because I feel that there's an, more of an opportunity that it's going to move somebody, making this lesson so good because somebody is going to gain a new understanding and that they're going to feel like they're part of an exclusive community, you know, just pouring into those YouTube videos because it's going to inspire some kid in Colorado, you know, who, who wants to be an artist. He sees this thing. Like I, I got an opportunity there to, to do something for somebody. Like some people might watch it and move on. That's fine. But they're, they're, I'm looking for the right person there. And so it's how we show up. We've got to, if we're worried about going out of business or business is hard and all that, I think our focus is wrong. We need to focus on how do we serve others? I mean, look, man, you're doing amazing work right now in service of others. You know, that, that huge painting you did of Jesus on the cross, that's in service to others. You know, I bet you were thinking about all kinds of other stuff except for yourself in that, in that thing. Like this is, that's a huge undertaking. The paintings, it looks enormous, by the way, and so exceptionally well done. Thank you. But I mean, this, this is something that you're doing that's, that's, you know, you're dialed in in this way. I can see it. And, and the right people, I, I think, I think are, um, we can get distracted and fixated on the outward success. Yeah. But I, I really feel like it's that internal game and, and the thing that's more important than anything, it doesn't matter what you're doing or in what moment you're in, it's connection, connect, connect when you're washing the dishes, connect. Connect when you're with your loved ones, connect there. When you're in your studio painting, connect. When you're in business, connect. And this is the thing, we can actually get fixated and distracted by numbers, especially Instagram. Interesting story, the whole last week, I said to myself, I'm gonna do something. This is an example of how you disconnect. I said, okay, Insta my Instagram's not growing, I would like to grow this because I'd like to reach more people. So what does Instagram want me to do? Well, I saw some post come up. I started watching a few tutorials, started looking at this going, you're going to need to post six times a day. Oh my gosh. Stories, handful of reels. Yeah, no, dude, dude. Yeah. So what I do, I said, okay, at first I was like, Instagram can go and get stuffed. I'm not, I'm not playing your game. Go away. But then I thought, okay, what can I do here? I'm going to post four times a day, every single day for a week. And I'm going to see what happens. Okay. So I I, I, I didn't end up posting the last one because I watched something and then I, I just said, this is weird. I, I'm not seeing any engagement or growth here. And I've actually experienced people leaving because they felt like well, I might have been spamming them or something. So let me go into the back end here. I have a look at the analytics real quick. And I had a look. I'd gained 400 followers, but I had lost 200. So over the course of a week of all of that time that I was spending, I, it was it was you know, just a little piddly net result. I'd lost sight of it temporarily, little, little minor blip of insanity there of being focused on the numbers, but something else came up. I was actually able to connect with people. I was reading comments. I was responding to comments individually um, as many as I could, as many as I had time for. And, and I was like hearing wonderful stuff and wonderful feedback. That was an opportunity to connect. But what my point is, you get fixated on the numbers side of things we need to, what we, can, we can get lost in that. It's a recipe for misery. If we focus on making the sale, whether we're creating, if you're not playing the social media game or the business game, if you're just trying to create artwork to sell, if you're trying to interpret what's in that viewer's mind and, and, and trying to paint 
catering to an audience, you're getting caught up in the external world. You're going you to lose first. You need to first tap into that thing that's within you and get that out. Because when you really connect with the subject and love it and love what you're doing and connect with that, guaranteed you're going to connect with somebody else. That, that comes next. But you do that. You, you start by connecting internally first because you have the love for that other person. You know? hmm. Can and I say so, something about that? You, you made me think of, of something. I have a client who's been very supportive of me over the years. And, um, and he said to me once, he, he, so as you mentioned, I do these biblical paintings, right? And, and I am passionate mm -hmm. about them. And I have done them thinking they would never sell because I'm passionate about it. But then they did start to sell. And I, got, I had this one client who um, bought um, at least one, maybe a couple. And then he wanted me to paint a very specific scene for him. And after I painted it, he said, you know what? I'm not going to ever commission you again because you don't do good work when I tell you what to paint. <laughs> and oh, I was wow. like, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's true. I just, I wasn't into yeah. it. And I tried, I tried yeah. my best, but I wasn't into it. And to me, that's what you're saying. It's like, you're kind of digging yourself in a hole if you really try and predict what the client is going to want. Because if you're not into it, even if you happen to get lucky enough to predict what they're going to want, if you're, if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to do your best work. At least that's been my experience. I suppose there's, there are some people out there that can do great work no matter what, but in my experience, has been that. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, and, and I can relate. I, I've got a similar, a similar situation that happened with me with one of my, one of my best clients. I mean, this guy would, would buy just about everything I could produce just about. Um, he, he's like, he's a wonderful patron. Um, and right now, you know, he'd been ringing me recently going, what have you got? What have you got? I'm looking on your website again. I can't see anything for sale. So I, I, got a few big pieces lined up for him <clears throat> but this he's he's the first one that i call when i have something available just say hey you know you want it I, i've got this your first your first person i'll leave it with you for a little while and, and you can let me know but he told me something similar he's like i'm not going to commission you to do anything and i'm like okay well that's interesting he said um he said yeah i want you to be all in mm -hmm. you know and something mm -hmm. that you love and i'm like wow like that that this is like a dream client you know, and, and yeah, he's, he's bought a lot of work off me and, and it's, um, it's just so important that we, we get that right. And even though I know that, and I, I, I try to stay in that space, the, the outside world is so loud and there's so many different things that we can be distracted by. And the minute you've got a mortgage to pay, a family to feed, and employees and things like that. You're starting to think about bottom lines and all that sort of thing. Now, it, you, you can be pulled into that external very quickly. But again, what gets me out of there is that connection, you know, connection to what I'm doing to really care about it, but connection also to the person, which is not just a number, it's somebody there that really is showing up because they they want to rediscover something for themselves. It's, it's strange, Jeff. I, I get this email <clears throat> that, that I, I've received this email so many times from so many different people. And it's like the same, it's the same message. And it doesn't matter who it's from. It's, it almost reads exactly the same. I haven't painted in 35 years. I just watched one of your videos and now I went out and bought all new materials and now I'm following you. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for putting together that video because you inspired me today. That's great. And then as soon as I read that, I'm like, 
that's it. That's why I do what I do. And I love it, man. I love mm. it. Um, so I think those that can, you know, talk about improving that self-talk, those that can need to teach. You have a responsibility to teach. You got a responsibility to do what you do. <clears throat> yeah, I'm doing what I'm doing, but we still need Jeff Hine. We still need Stefan Bauman. We still need Thomas Fluhardy and Joe Paquette and all these different wonderful artists of, of diverse backgrounds, all these incredible heavy hitters that are coming out. I mean, good night. You you want to, you start getting a big head about how good you are, and then you jump online, and then you see the latest portrait from Stefan Baum, and you're like, good night. Look at this. Look at this thing. You know, <laughs> his graphite's incredible. I love his work. But it's it's it, the the point is is that there, I really do believe this other thing. In one sense, yes, it is getting competitive in a way, and and there's a lot of of people that are entering the space. When I first started this online business, it was it was maybe just a handful compared to what it is now. Um, like everybody's offering a course, a workshop, a tour, a tutorial, a plane air trip or whatever, or an ebook, or, you know, there's so many different choices out there. So you can compete, but the only way you're going to do it is by being ruthlessly authentic, working out that thing that makes you tick and bringing that to the world. Mm -hmm. And if you can do something, you have a responsibility to do it. Yeah, it's, I, I, I truly believe it's your duty to get out there and do it. Mm -hmm. And um, success leaves clues. There's all sorts of people out there that are doing it. Find out how they did what they did. Hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's, a great, it's a great time to jump in. Yeah, one thing you said that also rung true to me, and I wonder if you could expound on it a little more, is that you said, hmm. I can't remember exactly how you put it, but you said that everything that you do, you want to do it well. Um, yeah. And that I really relate to that because I remember various times in my career, I would do something so well that I was going to lose money on it. In other words, I, I mean, I would try and do it so well. And I would say yeah. to myself, well, if I do yeah. it this well, I'm going to lose money. If I make it this yeah. high quality, I'm never going to make money on it. You know, I'd have a commission. That's, they yeah, say, yeah, we yeah, want it this yeah. size. And I'm like, yeah, the price is this, but you know what? I'm going to give it to you two times the size because it needs to be two times the size and then I lose money on it. Or, you know, it might be digital content that you put way too much effort in and you're not getting any money for it. Um, yeah. But what I found is that if the product is good enough over time, it always pays off. Like you can never Absolutely. just chase the, the, the immediate dollar. You know, that, that phrase, that old cliche phrase, don't, don't step over a quarter to pick up a dime. I say that all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I just spoke. I just interviewed Mark Maggiore for for my podcast, and um, and that episode will might already be out by the time this one's out. But extraordinary guy, and he had an analogy that I love. And so this is this is something that he told me in the podcast. It's like. It's like you've got three roads that open up in front of you and diverge from a point. And each of those roads is labeled in a particular way. You've got quality, you've got the work, the discipline, and you've got money. And he says, what ends up happening is most people start out distracted. And they go straight for that money. And it's easy to do. I mean, come on, when we're looking at Mark Maggiore, is there anybody who's not aware of how well he just did with his show? Yeah, it's I was incredible. there punching the air, just cheering, just going, yeah! Yes, my dude. Like not to mention every time he does shows. a print run. 
<laughs> Dude, it, he shows what is possible. And you could get jealous and bent out of shape about that. Or you could look at it and go, success leaves clues. If you want to get what they got, you got to do what they did. But there is something different with Mark Majori. Mark Majori is authentic. He is himself. He's unapologetic. And he's gone in and he's just, he said, this is cool. This is what I want to do. And he just went all in. So there is a phenomenon aspect to this for sure. Um, and I hope he doesn't mind me talking about him this way, but that analogy was so, so interesting to me with these three roads that diverge in front of you. And as he was saying this, and it's easy to do when we're looking at him as an example, if you go for the money, what ends up happening is you start walking down that road, but you don't see that there's a pit right in front of you that was hidden and you fall straight into it. You lose by walking down that road, by chasing that, you fall straight into the pit. Now you're finished. But if you go the quality route or the work, the discipline route, what ends up happening is you circle back around and you end up at the destination where that money road was pointing, but there was a pit in the way. You actually end up with fulfillment and the money mm -hmm. if you actually choose right from the beginning. So for me, those roads are labeled a little different. You know, for me, it's yes, the quality of the work, but it's and, and, and the connection. But it's also that that spirit of service to others. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, I want to paint stuff for people and I want to make people happy, but I'm not going to do that unless I'm actually in the zone and fulfilled and care about what it is that I'm doing. But you speak about quality there. I just want to mention something else about about that, focusing on that and losing money. How you do anything is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. How you do anything is how you do everything. And I, and I mean it, anything. So it could be your workout. It could be washing the dishes. It could be taking the dog for a walk. It doesn't matter what it is. How you do anything is how you do everything. And it's so important that we become consciously aware of the character who we are. You know, walk out there and start when, when you're when you're just interacting with people in public, you know, just talking to people like I, I, I sometimes embarrass my wife because I'll just talk to people. I saw an elderly couple that were looking at a heater at the hardware store. We've gone into town to get some supplies. I was looking at this couple and they're, I'm in an iron of this heater and it suddenly twigged. I started to walk away a little bit, but I recognized the heater because we got that heater at home. And they're looking at it, they're reading the box, they're reading the label. And I just said, excuse me, stop, so, sorry, sorry to bother you for a second, but we have that heater. Can I just tell you that that's actually a pretty excellent thing right there? Just, let me just tell you how it works and how we found it, you know, and here, here's the settings that I use and all that, you know, I hope that that works for you, you know, have a great day because maybe I help them make a decision. Maybe I save them some time, but it's like walking through your life and just, just giving a crap about every single moment and trying to do the best you can with that. Where this really shows up for me is my workouts. So when I work out, I work out like a maniac for one hour. I do everything that's physically possible for me right now at this level within that hour. So I set myself an intention for the workout and I set myself, a, 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 it's not a goal because it's more than that. I tell myself first before I do the workout what I'm gonna do. And then I go, okay, well, if I'm a man of my word, then I actually have to do what I just said I'm gonna do. Hmm. Don't go judging me here if you're listening to this because I know I'm not perfect, okay? I probably said some things that I was gonna do and I might not have done it. 
case in point, sometimes my scheduling gets in the way, but the point is I'm a work in progress. Intent. I'm a human being, yeah, it's your intent. It's my intent. So it's my intent to do what I said I was going to do. So with the workout, I go, okay, what am I going to do for my workout? Well, I'm going to start off by running, doing this crazy regimen at the moment. I'm getting some crazy results too, which is awesome. Um, but, uh, I, I do running, I do burpees, I do chin-ups, push-ups, dips, and, uh, abs and calves every single day. And I've done the same workout every single day for the last week. And because I've been training for on and off for, for a number of years, there's this one where I'll sit, set the number of reps, the set the distance that I'm going to run, and then I'll, I'll do it. But then I, 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 sorry, it's not a very nice way of putting it. But when I'm doing my workout, after I've done my workout, I have to pay the bitch tax. And the bitch tax is, as I know somewhere in that workout, I didn't keep my word. I didn't live up to the maximum of what I could do. So I'm going to need to go the extra mile. And so I need to show up there and get it done. So for me, my bitch tax is 10%. So if I'm doing 100 burpees and I do 100 burpees every day, when I do my 100 burpees, I'm like, yeah, you probably you probably backed around between 60 and 70. So you're gonna need to do another 10 right now. Now you do 110, you know? Mm -hmm. So so it's 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 something that that informs your character. When you show up to the easel, are you on? Are you distracted? Where's your phone? Are you checking notifications? Turn that crap off. Be there. If when you're with your people, are you distracted? Dude, I get distracted like that so easily. I have to remind myself it takes conscious effort to be there, to connect, you know, and and live up to who you said you are. Hmm. And I heard something recently, and I absolutely love this. Is you know, you got to become that person that you admire most and give them to the world. And so that's that's something that I'm working on now. It's it's like I, I know I'm a work in progress and I know I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to come off as if I am, but I, I think it's so important that at least we stay in that lane and that's our intent to do the best we can. Mm -hmm. So whether it's business, whether it's our personal life, whatever, it's connecting to those right things. And then I think the world opens up to us. As a man of faith, though, and you're a man of faith. You know, I, there's something else that I think we've been given, which is a gift. I, I look at my life, I look at my opportunities that I have, and I, it's a gift that I'm grateful for. I feel like it's slapping the Lord in the face not to maximize those gifts. I, I, I don't know how he would feel about it, but I mean to work hard. I mean to love on my people. I mean to maximize it because it's like it's like if I gave you a present, Jeff, and, uh, and I, I put a lot of thought into that, and it was something that you really wanted you know, maybe it was a new skeletal muscle muscle model or something like that that you're going to use for your figures or your, your class or something. And, and then I gave that to you and I was watching you. It's something that you needed, but you're like, all right, thanks very much. I'll, I'll put it over here. And you kind of forgot about it. You didn't really take action there. Well, as a friend, I'd be looking at that going, oh, that, that kind of stings. I guess you didn't really want it. You know, that, that kind of sucks. You know, you'd feel bad. I, but I look at my life. As it doesn't matter what's going on. It's a gift. How am I using it? How am I using hmm. it? It, I, I mean, yeah. I mean to, I mean to honor God by doing the most I can with that day. I, I know you don't want to get overly probably religious. Here, no, no, I, you I, know, I can't help but talk about it. You said, like, like you said, I'm, I'm also a believer, but you know, and I think you know, we're probably going to have, I probably have plenty of guests who aren't, but yeah. I think what's relevant is this. Well, let me say this: one of my pet peeves has always been this, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but. When people say there's no such thing as talent, I earned this because I worked hard, then that's a way of saying that they weren't given anything, they earned it, therefore they deserve it. That's what I hear. Yeah. And I, I, when yeah. I hear that, what I say is, wait a minute, 
how did you get the ability to work that hard? Whether you call it genetic yeah. uh, lottery that you won or whether you call it coming from God, either way, there are people in this world that can barely get out of bed in the morning, whether they're disabled, they lack energy, they're chronically oh depressed, yeah. right? Yeah. Like for you to say that you deserve this because you worked hard is to say that you won, either weren't given the gift from God or if you don't believe in God, you weren't given a genetic, winning the genetic lottery. Like either way, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a name, Jeff. I'm going to give you a name here. I'm going to find him right here and I, I'm going to pull him up. And I, I want people listening to this to, to follow this guy, because I love what you just said. Um, and, and I'm trying to get the pronunciation of his last name, right? But it's, uh, Nick Santonastazo, Santonastazo, okay. Nick Santonastazo. And you can find him on Instagram. He's got uh, well over half a million followers, 676,000. Good night. Good on him. Hmm. And this guy is a, a motivational uh, speaker, personal development guy. Um, but I, I heard him speak uh, ridiculously inspiring. He was born with only one arm. Really? And, and, and not all of the fingers on his arm at the end of his hand either, like, like hideous birth defects and has every excuse not to show up. But when you see the passion and the zest for life that this gentleman has and how he's turning people around, after listening to him, I just said, I am never complaining again. I have no excuses. Doesn't yeah, mean but, I but, didn't complain again because yeah, that afternoon I probably is, did. But the point you is, know? though, I, I think you're right yeah. about that. And I absolutely agree yeah. with you 100%. We have no excuses but to work. But even he is blessed to be able to work. There are some people that can't sure. even work. Like, and so my point For is sure. that, that he doesn't deserve success. You don't deserve success. I don't deserve success. Like it, it, my point is to acknowledge what you said earlier, that it's a gift. Like everything yeah. is an absolute yeah. gift, yeah. even to the guy with one arm. No, no, I, I, I totally agree. So, so he's looking at his situation as a gift, as an opportunity. When you hear him speak, right, he's right. so grateful to be in that space. So, so it's, and I've heard that as well. And I, I probably even said garbage pretty similar to that. Like that doesn't matter a talent, it's, it's hard work. And I, I always used to pride myself on the fact that I could outwork just about anybody. Like I, and I, and I, that would be something that I said, I've now since dropped that. Um, because it just, it, it's, a, it's a useless Sorry thing. Sorry for the insult. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Just that, that, that I, that, that thing that I used to tell myself, like I, I will outwork anybody. Well, I don't know that I will, but all I can do is show up to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. So the matter, it, it does, I, I don't think it matters. We can't get in the, in the habit of comparing ourselves to anybody else. The mm -hmm. minute we do that, mm -hmm. it's again, it's fixating on the external and it's a recipe for misery. What have you got in front of you? What can you do? Focus there, you know, focus on what you love. And, and I think, you know, whether you are blessed with ability, talent, or a hard working ethic, even if you just have a dream, even if you just have a desire to explore painting, learn more about it, that in itself is a gift. Mm -hmm. You know, some people can't, I've had people walk into my studio, come into my home, and they can't see the paintings. They just can't see. They don't, it doesn't even register. Right. Them. It's not, if, but if it was a framed football jersey on the wall signed <laughs> by your favorite team, suddenly yeah. they'd gravitate towards that and go, wow, yeah. I don't care about that stuff. But some people can't see what we do. So even to be able to see and appreciate it is a gift, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, uh, it's fun thinking about, but I, I, I think, the other thing as well, it's just important to be to be open 
to remain, you know, open to some of these new ideas, to think about this and to just, I don't know, lock in on, on those things that you really resonate with and really make you tick in a, in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and, and again, the, the thing that's becoming such a focus for me is that, you know, how I do anything is how I do everything. So even the little stuff show up, be all in, you know, and let's see what happens. Let's see how it all works out. Hey, this has been a really inspiring podcast, Andrew. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a huge honor to talk to you. Oh, Jeff, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a blast for me also. It's so wonderful to connect with you again. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.